listening to the bomb hole. Bomb hole podcast. It's going to be very hot. It's going to be very uncomfortable for everybody. <laughs> the bomb gonna slide down in big hills you know what i mean on the big nice burgundy snowboard okay here we go again we are back in the booth here at the bomb hole which is presented by pub beer now we got to get right to it stony buds how are we doing so good my dog god love hearing that <laughs> now to my left we have chris rasman in the booth from canada rasman how we doing I am great. Wow, that intro song, Bud's talking there, music to my ears. I feel like I'm sitting in a throne right now with you. Oh, yeah. Awesome. You're, in, you're in the hole. You're in the hole. <laughs> in the hole. So for our listeners that are unfamiliar with uh, Rasmin, he's a Canadian powerhouse uh, known for going absolutely huge in the Whistler backcountry. He won the Canadian Stop of Natural Selection last year. He's kind of Travis's Rice's protege, almost a Canadian Travis Rice, if you will. Uh, stand, he's got a pro model board for LibTech. We're going to talk about all this great stuff, standout human. But first things first, where are you from originally, Raz? I grew up in Vancouver, BC, just south, south of Whistler. And, um, yeah, pretty much immediately after high school, I wanted to get out of the city and I made the move two hours north and been there ever since. That's awesome. Now, one thing we got to talk about is your dad, Rudy. I've, I've heard he's an absolute legend. He got you into the board sports. Oh, yeah, stuff. big time. Yeah, Rudy is quite the character, and he is a legend. He's, he's the reason I snowboard. He's the reason I surf. He's the reason like my whole life has taken this whole direction. And, yeah, he was a pro snowboarder back in the day. Like He's rode with Craig Kelly, Damian Sanders, like a bunch of guys from that generation Done the Baker Bank slalom a ton. Used to ride for Mervin back in the day too. I think it was Gnu back then. The boards he was riding and yeah, Rudy's Rudy Rasmus just kind of rings off the tongue too. Like oh, a yeah. good name right there. Pretty, very name. marketable. Very marketable yeah. name. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like definitely want to keep that one. Yeah, surprised good. they never gave him a pro model, but I don't really know if that was much of a thing. Back I don't think then. it was as heavy of a thing. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't a ton of pros back there. Yeah, there was a, just a handful. <laughs> well, we happen to have a guest question. From none other than Rudy Rasmin, your dad. Here we go. <laughs> nice. Hey, Chris. Where was the first place that you've ever surfed? Probably Kauai. Pro- yeah. My my grandparents, so my grandparents from my dad's side uh, fell in love with the island of Kauai in the 80s because my great-grandma liked the movie Blue Hawaii, the Elvis Presley movie, which was filmed there. And so they started going there a bunch, and they bought a property there and, like, 87 or something like that and yeah i've just been going there since i was a little kid so i'd say that's probably the first place i got my toes wet your your dad was t- saying some really cool stories of when you're really young like he's like i would basically go in the shallows and like push him into waves when he was really really <laughs> small and then i just like leave him on the beach and go catch like waves out on the lineup and all that stuff <laughs> oh, that yeah. true oh yeah 100 percent. like but and that's the thing like it's great like i've love surfing it's a huge part of my life the ocean in general is a huge part of my life and it wasn't until like my 20s late 20s that I started realizing how much I took that like ocean knowledge and love for it for granted because like surfing's hot right now everybody loves to surf especially snowboarders every every snowboarder wants to say they surf wants to say they're good at surfing but a lot of them get into it as an adult and when you get into it as an adult you have to learn about the ocean as like a whole separate skill and I've kind of just had that since a young age so like the ocean doesn't scare me like it does some other people i guess um still got to respect the shit out of it but yeah since i was a little kid he's just been like throwing me into waves letting me get worked leaving me on the beach so he can go get his (laughs) that's awesome now i want to talk about uh switch back over to snowboarding 
because your dad was mentioning maybe around like seven or something like that, you started snowboarding. And I want to know like what your, what your first board was. It was actually uh, 10 years old because it was okay. around my 10th, my birthday is in November and it was around my 10th birthday, maybe a little bit after it. Um, I had been, cause I already skateboarded and surfed and skied. Like, I think they taught me how to ski when I was like five or six. And it was just like, Hey, I want to stand sideways. Like, what is this dad? So I've been asking him and bugging him. And, um, we had like a little like Costco piece of plastic with a rope, kind of like a snurfer type thing that I would use in the rare times it would snow in Vancouver. And then, yeah, after my 10th birthday, I came home from school and I showed up and there was a 122 Burton chopper, yellow top sheet, uh, pterodactyl riding a triceratops, hanging a carrot in front of the triceratops on the, on it. That was my first board. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, uh, the other thing too, he said that you would like follow him off jumps and stuff like that. Yeah, totally. I mean, he, he's, my dad's obviously always been a shredder. So he, he taught me how to snowboard and yeah, we just go up the Vancouver local resorts. Like Cypress was kind of our, our main one. And they didn't like, I grew up without a park cause I didn't ride Seymour growing up just through osmosis where my dad wanted to ride. That's where I would ride too. And I just follow him off of side hits and like the weird hand dug pipe they had out there. And yeah, just that, train him everywhere. He's still shredding? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like, well, too. Just Like, rip. he's almost 60, and he, like, he day trips to Whistler probably three or four times a week throughout the winter, and a lot of times solo, sometimes with my sister, sometimes with a buddy or his brother, and mo- honestly, mostly solo. Wait, like, he, he just a lot then, huh? Oh, yeah, he shreds a lot. a week, that's awesome. Totally. Like, he's still, like, eats, sleeps, and breathes it. And he, he, like, nerds out on, like, product and gear, like, more than I can even handle, like, more than I am interested in. Like he wants to talk about like board specs and binding specs and like how this feels when he like changes this angle or what. And like to the point where I'm like, oh, it's already gone beyond what I care about. Really. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of those tech heads. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Some people have the mind for it. Others are just like, I don't, as long as it feels good, I'm in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I actually happen to have a second question. Double in Rudy. Down. We got double down. So double whammy go. dad. Hey, Christopher, it's your dad again. Hey, I've got another question just to jog your memory. Do you remember I'd come occasionally unannounced to your high school to pick you up? You'd have a medical situation, and we'd have to go. Do you remember where we went? <laughs> yeah, I got to give a big shout-out to my dad. for Looking back, that's actually such a boss move. But my dad, on multiple occasions, would uh, straight-up lie to my principal that I had like a doctor's appointment that like he couldn't shuffle around. And pull me out of school at like 9 a.m. because it was a powder day and, and we'd go ride Cypress all day. <laughs> wow. We need to send an air horn occasions. over to yeah, let's uh, give Rudy an air horn. Rudy. That, that's a boss father move. Boss right move. And like I had no idea at the time. I was even like, oh, this is kind of sketch. Like, but obviously I want to get the fuck out of here. So like, yeah, let's do this. And yeah, like Just looking imagine back. Imagine with him on the phone crazy, with the principal. <laughs> oh, totally. Just like blatantly lying. Like, yeah. like I'm taking my son snowboarding. You guys aren't teaching him shit anyway. Let's get the hell out of here. Nice. Now I want to talk about you kind of have a little bit of a late start, you know, in with the, the pro career, how did it go? Like getting your feet wet with sponsors and that type of world. Yeah. Um, I think because I never, I mean, first of all, like I grew up riding with my dad and he taught me and that was awesome. But like I said, grew up without a park. So like when I graduated high school and made the decision to move to Whistler and like try and be a pro snowboarder, like I had no trick foundation like i i could i think i could do a 360 and a backflip at like 17 years old like already living out of the house and so i had to kind of like learn everything myself just like following friends that i met from the east coast that were better at the park and i knew pretty quickly that i didn't 
A, because I wasn't good at it, and B, because I was shy. I didn't want to do contests. And so contests are usually the way that people kind of like set their roots and get some sponsors. But I just had to like figure it out, chip away and try and like film my first video part with like Narcor, just like go for it in the backcountry. And like, I was actually even hitting like weird street spots, like street jumps, street step downs. I did a bunch of bomb drops one year <laughs> and uh, yeah, eventually just through the crew I linked up with like a couple, couple people kind of hooked me up like through I was living with Matt Beardmore at the time in this house called the Art Barn, and he was on Atomic Snowboards, and so he started getting me Atomics through him, and um, he hooked me up with Desiree Moore, who was working for Drake Northwave at the time, and um, yeah, those are my first two sponsors, and then I got to give a huge shout out to Gerhard Gross, who recently <laughs> passed away. Um, he kind of he kind of got me really started like he got me my first paychecks he got me on trips he got me hooked up with alternative films and sandbox and um yeah he kind of got the ball rolling for me now who would you are who are your mentors at a young age mentors at a young age would have been the backcountry guys from the early absent films of that era like travis rice was always a huge one for me but like DCP, JP Solberg, Roman DeMarkey, some of the Wildcats, like a huge fan of any of the Canadian boys like partying and doing it like that. Like it just was this like rock star life that felt within reach. Like they were they were living in Whistler. They were all right there. Like you feel like you could touch them and it's like that that could be me. Um so yeah, those guys were huge mentors. That's awesome. Now, now moving forward, you're filming for Alterna. You filmed what, a couple parts. Yeah, I did. How many parts did I do for Alterna? Um, let's see. It was like apples and oranges, um, electro, hello world, thirteen. Yeah, four parts for Alterna. And then, how did the the Man Boys crew come about? Thirteen o'clock was Alterna's last snowboard movie, and after that. Um, the producer kind of transitioned out of snowboard films and kind of was getting into bigger commercial work. It was time for him to move on to the next chapter. And around the same time, Sandbox stopped making films. Uh, Mac Dog wasn't making films anymore. There just wasn't really, like, snowboard productions were dying. There was, like, no Canadian films to film for. The American ones were diminishing, too. And I hadn't really made a big name for myself yet. Like, I was still just kind of in this, like, little Canadian pigeonhole, like, People didn't really know who I was internationally. Uh, so Snowboard Canada made a movie for two years in a row. And this guy, Nate Laverty, filmed and edited them. So I did two years with the Snowboard Canada movie. And then 2014 came around. And um, Rusty Ockenden, Mark Sollers, Matt Belziel, Jody Wachniak were like brainstorming. Yeah, huge arrowing for those boys. I Yeah, I owe those guys a lot. They're like brothers to me. Um, they were kind of brainstorming a way that we could carve our own path and it, the whole concept behind it it was like why do these production companies need to take a huge chunk of money from our sponsors tell us where we got to be tell us what crews we're going to go and film for there would be like a crews and b crews and just like all this kind of shit out of our control and um yeah rusty and mark were like we can just do this ourselves and then we can film with exactly who we want to film with we can film with our friends and we can probably do it for cheaper too and uh, at the time i actually wasn't super close with all of those guys yet i knew them all just from living in whistler but the only one i was super tight with was matt belziel and he basically kind of like vouched for me because i wanted in on what they had going on and 
they were, I guess like Jody was kind of like, I don't know about that guy. Like he seems a bit loose. He kind of seems like <laughs> I'm going to watch him get hurt out there or something. And, you know, at the time I was definitely like more Kodak courage and a little bit less, um, controlled risk just going huge <laughs> just and going dealing with it after totally you <laughs> yeah like i was just figuring it all out out there and like yeah. like i said no no park fundamentals so like learning tricks in the backcountry just like going for it um but yeah they decided to like give me a chance like rusty was down sellers was down and i spent that first season uh traveling and filming with belzeal and rusty basically and i had a really good year and bonded with those guys a lot and yeah just became friends and we've been traveling and snowboarding together since 2014 nonstop. It's so man boys is like a real like company then too, huh? Yeah, totally. We had like a, yeah, we had like a bank a account and yeah. stuff and yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're talking in the millions of views at this point too. Yeah. Yeah. Stacking so was, them up. Get, getting them up there. Who came up with the, the name man boys? So I got to give a shout. You got to give an air horn to uh, my man, Robin Taylor, Whistler legend, absolute park shredder. Never, had any care in the world to be a pro snowboarder, try and be, he just likes snowboarding and he's like over 40 and he's in there every day doing cab nines, switchback nines, like just having fun. Um, and Robin used to make these like funny kind of skit snowboard films in the park with his friends and they were called crap Nito edits. I don't know if you guys remember hearing about those. I remember the name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he also did like a couple of like Whistler filmmaker showdown, like the 72 hour filmmaker showdown where you have like, three days to like film edit and hand in a film uh, he like won well. it a couple times they're definitely worth looking up like robin taylor's 72 hour filmmaker showdown films but anyways their like crew was crap nato and then they had like the young guys in their crew which was mark sollers and rusty Aachen at the time and this is way back and they would call themselves the man boys and those guys would be the junior man boys so when they were making this thing trying to figure out what to call it they just thought man boys would be fitting because really what are we we're a bunch of grown-ass men still Sliding down snow yeah. on pieces of wood like we're a bunch of like a bunch of, a bunch of yeah, boys. Bunch of yeah, boys. totally. So love that. It's a great name. Yeah, it really yeah. is. Well, in regards to what you're talking about with man boys, we have a guest question from Rusty. Nice. Here we go. I'm rolling. It's on a ferry. That's why it's so What's loud. up, bomb holers, aka landing ruiners? What's up, Chris? It's Rusty. I have two questions for you. First, let's show everyone how adorable you can be. Can you elaborate on being gullible, iMessage Pro, and the alleged messages from Bethany Hamilton on your phone? Uh, question number two has to do with your grade five girlfriend, Claire. What's she up to now, and uh, is she seeing anybody? Wow, thanks, Rusty. You're making me blush over here. Solid question. <laughs> Solid questions from the Rust man. Um, yeah, so I, I, you know, as I've matured and gotten a little older, I've started started to realize that you uh you can't have 100% faith in humanity sometimes people like to fuck with you <laughs> I used to be very gullible I would I would still am but a little less gullible than I was when I first started filming with Rusty so Rusty used to take the piss out of me all the time like just constantly fuck with me just I I don't know if I could think of like a specific example but literally everything but one thing in particular is cuz I grew up going to Kauai like my whole life I met Bethany Hamilton when she was quite young and met Alana Blanchard when she was quite young and used to spend some time there like surfing and hanging out with those girls. And I told these guys about this and they were kind of messing. They, they obviously believed me, had no reason not to, but they were messing with me while we were building stepmother actually in Whistler. Big, that's for those of you who don't know, a lot of the Whistler jumps and Whistler spots have names because they're legendary and they've been getting hit for a long time. And this one in particular, uh, I would say the shots that, 
popped in my head first are Devin Walsh informs that. Anyways, we're building stepmother and um, <laughs> Rusty's telling me he doesn't believe me that I know Alana Blanchard. And so he's trying to get me to show him a text message from her. And I'm like, dude, like, fine. I'll like here. She like I texted with her like, I don't know, like six months ago or something. And I pull up my phone and I try and show him. And I guess I had my phone set to like to save storage to like delete texts after and I couldn't find it. There was no, there was no text from Alana Blanchard on my phone. And I'm all like, shit. Like, dude, no, I swear. Like, I, I know her. She like, I see her all the time over there. And Rusty's like, oh yeah, she must have that like iMessage Pro thing. And I'm like, huh? It's like, yeah, like she must have iMessage Pro. It's like something that like pro athletes and celebrities have. Like, so they like, if people can't look up text that threads from them, like it automatically deletes it. So, you know, they can't have like weird media shit going on. And I was fully just like, yeah, 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 yeah. She does. Like, that. I think, I think she's mentioned that before. She does. And that, dude, dude, I just like, I just could not, I just could not put down the shovel. Like, I just made it worse and worse. And then, uh, Russ, man, what was the second question about your uh, grade five crush? Oh yeah, great. Actually, seventh grade girlfriend. I think we kind of had a little thing in grade six, and then grade seven, we were we were going steady for a hot minute. Uh, it was Claire, serious. Yeah, it's pretty serious. But as serious as a grade seven girlfriend can yeah. get, you know, you're, you're going to the mall together. You're you're uh, holding hands. Yeah. Wow, hand holding. Okay. Play, you ever play Seven Minutes in Heaven? Butt grab, makeup. Yeah. Anyways, um, Claire Claire Boucher, otherwise known. Is that as- where they lock you in the closet together or something? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 They lock you in the closet for seven minutes. Guilty. I've played. Yeah. Great. Great game when you when you don't know how to talk to a girl. Um, Claire Boucher, otherwise known as Grimes these days, uh, recently broken up with Elon Musk, but has Elon Musk's baby. Yeah, they my, just broke up, huh? Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> my grade seven girlfriend. Amazing. She, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of crazy. That's incredible, yeah. I, I'm a huge Grimes. Yeah, she's dope. She, really, really dope. She's, we actually, so it's funny, she like, I hadn't talked about that, I hadn't really told any about that, anyone about that for years, and then uh, one time I was hanging at the house that Rusty and Sollers used to rent, and uh, Hayden Wrench was staying there, and he's like, comes in he's unpacking his stuff and he just asks me about it and i'm like how what like how did you know that because i hadn't told anyone about that um and i guess she he like was following her blog and she wrote a blog about me and like reshared like a highlight reel i had posted from like 2012 or something and was like oh so i guess my elementary school boyfriend's a pro snowboarder now like that's kind of cool and then uh yeah in like 2015 we hit her up and she gave us a song for basically free for a man boys edit which was cool really that's yeah. killer that's yeah. definitely killer no uh, cyber truck yet though but no cyber truck. yeah that, that should be that should be a couple months away that'll be, that'll be soon yeah i mean uh, she burned the bridge but <laughs> yeah true. true yeah that's yeah. new celebrity gossip um well uh let's go back to let's keep talking man boys because one thing that's that's fascinating is you guys have been filming with the same crew for seven years now filming with friends versus filming with random selected people to be in a production company What's the, what are the differences? Well, I think there's like positives and negatives to both of those scenarios. Um, when you're thrown together with random people from a production company, chances are you, you're probably going to get along. Most of us are like-minded individuals in this industry. Everyone's got a cool story and like, yeah, every once in a while there's a dick and someone, you don't really enjoy their company. But generally, if you go in with an open mind, you, you're going to make new friends and have good times and build great memories um, the downside of that is sometimes it can make it feel more like a job. Sometimes you can be put on trips you don't really want to go on. Or if you're like mentally not in the right space to be socializing with like new people for two weeks in a small hotel room, like it, it can get gnarly and it can get hard to like perform and snowboard. 
when you film with your best friends, it's like everything. It's like uh, you want to rip each other's heads off. You love each other. You're having so much fun. You're supportive. You're competitive. You want each other to do good. Like it's it's the best, I think. Like, and you know, I mean, we've been doing it for yeah seven or eight years together. Like, how crazy is that? That we've just been like stuck together in the mountains and in small hotel rooms for that long. Um, it's got to be yeah. crazy crew drama when you're that tight. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Throw it's, some beer in there. And, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, got to get wild. I mean, the time. worst is like when we were when like a bunch of us were single. Like that's not. Yeah, like, you have this like <laughs> when we were younger. Most of us were single couple of us were taken and it was like oh i'd be so sick if we were like all single at the same time together and rusty's like are you kidding that would be a fucking nightmare <laughs> like all of us in a bar together like trying to get the one hot yeah, girl that's true there. in the mountains yeah but um but yeah it's like you know we're, we're like brothers so there's the kicker gossip must be incredible when you know each the other kicker that banter, well. yeah the kicker yeah. banter just when we bring out a photographer that's like never shot with us before or like a new snowboarder like we've been taking out sean miskman let's give an air horn to sean miskman that kid's amazing <laughs> Um, and they get to know us and just like, cause we have no filter yeah. the kick, on the kicker gossip, gossip, like all oh, these guys are insane. Like, this is hilarious. They've clearly known each other for a long time. And <laughs> no. like, you know, me and Rusty, I would say kind of have the more like alpha crew leader personalities in the group. And so like, we, you know, we would butt heads and we would full on get into like backcountry arguments, but then just like deal with it and be done with it right there. Like, well, why'd you do this? Okay, I did that because of this. And that was annoying. Well, you shouldn't fucking do that because of that. Okay, cool. Sorry. I'm sorry too, man. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, it's over. Yeah, totally. But we fully had like backcountry scraps. Yeah, that's how it goes back there. People don't always understand. Uh. Yeah. I think another, another part of uh, filming with your friends instead of being thrown on a group of, you know, with a group of snowboarders that you don't really know that well is viewers watching the edits and the movies after, they can feel that in what's happening so even if it's just snow porn with the occasional lifestyle here and there the occasional group shot like you can kind of tell when it's authentic and that's been some of the coolest feedback we've got from the man boys projects is we get messages all the time of like oh man you guys we can really tell that you guys are like homies and that you guys are having so much fun out there together and that's special for us because it's like we are we feel blessed we feel lucky and the, the fact that that like comes through in the lens and and it's relatable like what's snowboarding about like going snowboarding with your friends and having a good time yeah, the whole vibe, that's what it's all about. So that's, yeah. that's well such said. a good thing. Well said. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to get into a couple good ones with your crew. You guys have a massive crew. And uh, I want to know, you know, when you're hitting backcountry jumps, it's important to land. So uh, because if you don't, you put a bomb hole in the landing and you can't land in that spot or you'll probably blow a knee, destroy yourself. So I want to know who's got the worst landing percentage out of anybody on the man boys crew. <laughs> Time to throw someone under the bus, huh? Oh, geez. Oh, I'm sorry, Jody. Um, yeah. <laughs> Jody probably does. But the thing with Jody is he has, he puts such emphasis on style that he's not going to like let go early or stop tweaking to make him land. So we're all like shot him down, but to fluff him up a little bit, Jody really wants to look good. And he puts a huge um emphasis on style so he's like he's trying hard shit he's trying to poke right till the very end of his spin and he also goes really big like he, me and him are like very different in size but when we're hitting jumps together me and him match our speed off each other i can't match my speed off belziel because if i match it off belziel i'm going to the fucking bottom but with jody we're pretty similar <laughs> that's sick now i also want you to keep um chirping the man boys crew here uh who's the worst sledder 
Mm. <laughs> Probably Jody. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Joe, man. But that's because he doesn't try. He's like, he's, he's getting better over the last few years. But the, I mean, he definitely has the least amount of years of sled experience compared to all of us. Like when we started Man Boys in, 20, in 2014, uh, myself, Belzeal and Rusty had already been sledding for several years. And that was kind of Jody's first year doing a full year sledding. Um, but yeah, and then for a couple of years after that, like probably until like 2017, he just would never try cause he'd be afraid to blow a belt or afraid to like fuck up his sled. So he just let us put in the work. It's only in recent years that Jody's like being a boss out there. And if, you know, we're trying to break trail and a bunch of us are stuck, he's like, I got it. And he'll just go and blast a little farther, get through the trees a little higher. So Jody's been, been coming he come, up. In he comes from game. the steel too. He comes from the steel. Comes yeah. from the steel. That's the thing. Yeah. He comes from the steel. So it's a yeah. whole different now, You've been out there your whole life. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who's the best sledder? Best sledder, me and Rusty. <laughs> he himself yeah. in there. I like that. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna probably give that, give give myself that title. Maybe like Let's 10 give yourself, more than Let's Rusty. Give yourself Rusty. Horn. Yes. Thank, thank you, thank you. Be here, be here for a couple more hours at least. <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, the Whistler backcountry because where you guys spend a lot of your time, and it's this vast, really open, huge blank canvas and you know particularly i want to talk about when you're younger you know riders myself you 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 go out there with a certain trick in mind and you're like i'm gonna hit this jump today and i'm gonna do a front seven and that's the trick but when you start sometimes the dictate the the terrain dictates the tricks and as you get experience that you start realizing oh well this this feature is calling for this trick now how do you, can you elaborate on that with your experiences, like in the Whistler backcountry, like riding terrain, riding jumps and, and like letting the, the terrain dictate the tricks you do? Yeah. Well, I mean, you articulated that really well. Like you hit the nail on the head on that one. And, uh, I didn't know that when I first started, like I used to have like a trick list and I would literally like check them off and be like, okay, my part needs this. And so I would go out that day and just be thinking like, okay, I need a cap nine or I need a switch back five. And it didn't matter what we were hitting. That's what I was trying it on. Um, you start to learn that that's not the best way for success. It's also, nobody cares about your trick list. Like backcountry video parts, I think at least are less so about the tricks that are going down unless they're just jumps on a roll. Then yeah, you want to see crazy tricks, but are more so about like the feature and what the feature looks like. So for success out there, it's all about letting the trick dictate your feature. And that takes years of experience. Like sometimes you're going to have a bunch of front threes in your part and you're going to probably cut a couple of those and use the better ones, but they're going to look different. And, you know, landings are curved and shaped different ways. Like sometimes you want to be spinning into the landing so you can like catch the trick and the pow with your toes instead of be like spinning away, spinning away from the angle of it, if that makes sense. So yeah, a big part of like experience is letting the terrain dictate what you're going to do rather than being like, I need a front 10 today. Mm -hmm. That's, that's another cool sidebar topic too. I love the, the experience that keeps growing with backcountry Cause when it starts off, like you look at people film video parts they're in the streets, they're generally young. You look at everybody in the Olympics. We're just watching like the average person's like freaking 18 years old, you know, where in the backcountry you go out there and you're 18 and you're like, you got to learn how to snowmobile. You got to learn how to read terrain. You got to learn about avalanche safety you got to form your crew. There's so much more that y you can do it for so much longer because each year you gain experience and you can get more into writing lines and all that. Do you want to speak on, on experience coming from being inexperienced and experienced? Yeah. I mean, totally. Like you said, like it's, I mean, the, 
the fact of the matter is, is like backcountry riders our age, like we're not going to keep up with the tricks that are going down these days, the tricks that the, you know, 18 to mid 20 year olds are doing. Um, so we put more emphasis on the beauty of the features that we're hitting. And like, you know, we're not just going to go out there and like fire up a wedge on a roll anymore. Like it's kind of like a last resort thing, or it's like, if somebody really has a trick in mind, they want to do, and we have nothing else to hit. We're looking for like cool gaps, like things that are going to shoot well. We're like thinking about the shot before we're like thinking heavily about the trick, but it's really hard to find those features. Like I think a lot of people think, especially when you talk about the Whistler backcountry, that that stuff's just everywhere. You can just go out there on a snowmobile and you're just like, Oh, spot to get a banger spot to get a banger. There's jumps there, cliffs there. But to find those large, like hundred foot gap jumps or those like nice lines that are like safe to ride, but look gnarly and shoot well. And you can trick out of them. Like, that's really, really hard to do. And that's where experience comes into play. Like having an eye for what's going to work, having an eye for what hasn't worked in the past, what's steep enough when you're going that big, what is manageable, what the snow conditions are like, what, like what you can do. Like that stuff's hard to train over a few conversations. That stuff just takes years. So, you know, as some of these younger guys transition out of contests and start doing backcountry, I think like having mentors and having apprentices to take them out and show them is like super important to their success. And that's kind of something that like we really want to do as, as the man boys like grows and ages like this year, we've been like really trying to take out young guys as much as possible. Sean Miskaman being one of them and just kind of show them the way and get them going so they can like apply that natural talent and youth they have and combine it with our knowledge. So we can like pass it's them down fast back there too. Right. So you guys are going deep and having long yeah. days. Dude, it's fast, and yeah, you got to, like, something I learned from Rusty in the early days of Man Boys is, like, move with purpose. Like, be safe out there and, like, make good decisions and talk about things as you move through them, but, like, move with purpose was something you used to always say. Like, you finish something, and you got to go, like, think about your next objective. And, like, a big thing is, like, light. Like, it's like, okay, like, this morning we're going to go and hit this because it's got morning light, but that's going to be done by 11 a.m., so probably wrap up by noon realistically and then we got to get to this spot by three because we have like two hours of light there and um yeah you got to move fast <laughs> your days are long huh they're they're long yeah. and they're and they're few and far between like we get we're in the pacific northwest whistler gets a lot of weather it's what makes it so awesome but those sunny days where they also line up with like a good safe snowpack like they're few and far between and so you got to make use of those sunny days because if you mess up a sunny stretch it sucks to say but like that could like make or break your video part that could be the difference between you having like a good part or like a mediocre part that nobody remembers that's hectic so we're gonna get into a patreon question chris you want to talk a little bit about sure let's talk about the page yeah patreon is our little community as you like to say and basically you can sign up online on bombhole.com and from anywhere from as little as five bucks a month you can support the show and it helps us come here and do this full time you get a little uh, sneak preview interview of Rasmin uh, that nobody else will see besides Patreon members. And anyway, if you like the show, it's a great way to support. And either way, just thanks for listening. So Yeah, thank you so much. This first one is from Joseph McCarty. What is your mental game like when you're about to drop it in the backcountry? Hollow head or visualizing the whole thing? What up, Joseph? Thank you for the question. Um... It kind of depends with how long I've been doing this for now. um, Sometimes certain features just aren't scary at all. And you're laughing and joking and your your mental game's no different than if you were like on a resort about to like drop in and hit a side hit or a park jump. And then when you're hitting something new 
riding a big scary line or a jump that's frightening or something you've never hit before. It's a lot of visualization for me. It's like visualization while we're building the feature or while we're like looking around and talking about it. I kind of like stare at it from like every angle. Like I'll, if it's a line or a jump landing, I'll drive my snowmobile like around the bottom of it and check at it from like as many angles as I can to like visualize what that landing is going to feel like, what it's going to feel like ripping out of that line. Once I'm up top, it's just like breathing techniques. <laughs> I'm like breathing in through the nose, out through the mouth. Like, I, have you ever heard of box breathing? I haven't, no. So it's like a, it's a really good calming technique that I use when I'm like nervous at the top of something big. And basically you breathe in, for th- ideally through and out your nose, but you breathe in for three seconds, hold your breath for three seconds, breathe out for three seconds. And you repeat that in a box. And that's like a really good way to just like calm your nerves. I guess like the ratio of like oxygen versus like carbon dioxide you put out. Yeah. 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 I guess the ratio just like really calms you. Well, when you, when you like, say repeat it in a box pattern, what does that mean? I'm, I'm just don't follow. I mean, do it multiple times. So breathe in for three seconds, breathe, hold for three seconds, breathe out for three seconds, hold for three seconds, breathe in for three seconds, hold, breathe out. So the corners of the hold. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. What people don't understand is when you get up top, you can't see a thing. So it's all your your visualization from when you're at the bottom. Totally. And with lines, you might be the only person. You're probably the only person who's ever jumped this feature, I'd imagine. In a lot of a lot of cases for your filming, right? Yeah, it depends. I mean, Whistler's yeah, a popular spot, and it, like it's been pioneered by a lot of people. But but yeah, with some lines, especially if it's like kind of a newer zone, newer nook and cranny, we find like sometimes it might be first ascents. Yeah. <laughs> or it's like snow changes so much every year. So it's even if a it's a different. line that's been ridden before, like it's formed completely different. It's a little narrower, a little sketchier. Um, and yeah, you're, whether it's like a jump or a step down or a line like that, like generally you don't see shit from the top. So you're really relying on those like scoping methods you used from the bottom and like maybe a couple of iPhone photos. And it's all about trusting yourself too. Like it's all about just being like, I'm not a sketch. I know what I'm doing. This I'm going to land, like I saw everything from the bottom, even though it looks crazy from up top and like this looks like I'm just going to fly off the face of the earth and land on that lake down there. Like I know I'm not. Like I looked at it from every angle and just trusting yourself, being confident is like really important. I think that's really, really good uh, advice. And, you know, a lot of people that are beginners or people that haven't built jumps or some of our listeners, you know, it's definitely a totally different experience than riding through the park and, and like, oh, you watch somebody hit it before you. Oh, I just do two turns on the park jump. And I want to talk about the fact that, like, let's say you go build a giant cheese wedge and it's a jump and you have a 70-foot gap, 80-foot gap, and then a landing. And you got to figure out, okay, I got to, like, can we do we start, like, 500 feet up? Do we start 800 feet up? Do we start 200 feet up or whatever, you know, for you guys, it would be kilometers or whatever the fuck you guys use in Canada. <laughs> Some cams. And, and like, yeah, your toonies up or whatever it is. Tukes. <laughs> toonies. Or like, yeah, so whatever increment you guys use, however, 57 tukes. toke to, to, to get to the top. <laughs> 57 tukes with optimal resi. Yeah, exactly. That's usually good speed. <laughs> Works that's every time. speed for sure. <laughs> but that's, you know, it's it's really, you know, you watch like people that are first starting out, you build a jump and you, you short track the shit out of it. You land like 20 feet short because you're like i think i start from here and then you realize no you got to go 200 tukes higher so uh how do you how do you uh figure out like you know like gaining the right speed to clear the clear the gap yeah i mean that's a really good question and even to this day despite the like 14 years i've spent out of there like 
every new scary jump, like the mellow ones or whatever, but anytime there's like a gap, something you have to get over, or it's just like really big, speed's always a question. Um, you do build kind of a like intuition on what it feels like. Like you kind of like, you know, you're like, this one looks like a jacket flapper. If you're going in and your jacket's not flapping, it's probably not going flapper. fast enough, right? <laughs> so you kind of do build a feel for what it should feel like, but it's it's still really hard. And uh, everyone in our crew is different. Like um, everyone carries different speed. Like I was saying, everyone has to start from different spots. Um, I tend to have a history of overshooting because I hate knuckling jumps. I hate it because in the backcountry, it usually hurts more than overshooting and you mess up the shot the photos and everything just kind of looks like junk when there's a big track, big short track or a big bomb hole in the uh, knuckle of it. So I, if I'm going first, which seems to happen a lot these days, cause I suck at rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> um, I just go a little bit. I, I do a couple in runs, figure out what feels right. And then I bump it up, you know, 15% Dukes. <laughs> and, uh, go from there go from yeah. there <laughs> yeah. so you you find your speed and you're like all right i'm gonna go 15 toques higher that's exactly. actually that's like that's higher. great uh for those of you who are unfamiliar a toque is a is what we would call a beanie here in the united in states the united states it's um, french for hat i noticed too with the uh, the flapping jacket certain materials don't flap the same way you, you some some guys they drop in and their jackets flapping and they're only like 10 toques up yeah totally <laughs> yeah no it's true <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know, some of that. You got to know your materials. You got to know your material. Everyone's (laughs) material flaps a little different. Like, I think that 686 stuff Belzio wears isn't flapping that much. Yeah, it's like a thicker thicker material. It just doesn't flap. Yeah, totally. Now, I want to talk about some absolutely notable A-grades. First things first, you're one of the few people that can let those gigantic back rodeo 1080 indie grabs (laughs) rip, dude. Let's talk about the first one that that you ever did. Um, yeah, first, first time I learned a double back rodeo 10 was spring of 2012. Um, the movie I was filming for that year was, it was between Alterna and man boys. So it was those, those two years of, uh, snowboard Canada movies. I believe it was glimpse. Um, we got it right here up there. Yep. So it's a giant step up for the people listening, <laughs> dude. <laughs> And you got basically shot out of a cannon yeah, and went straight a few, up. it looked like a hundred plus feet. Yeah. yeah. So we had uh so it was end of the season, springtime and uh, the world ski and snowboard festival in Whistler was doing this contest at the time called intersection. And basically how it worked is there was like six or seven invited snow snowboard and ski crews. And you have to film and edit in the exact same seven days, finish it, edit it and hand it in, in those same seven days. It doesn't matter what the conditions are like. And so I was filming for that Snowboard Canada movie at the time. had kind of wrapped up because the snow has, had been torched and gone to junk. But we had to do this contest. So it was a good excuse to just go and try and, like, get stuff done anyways in the spring. So we built this big step up uh, in a backcountry zone in Whistler called Brandywine. It's kind of a classic one. It's been hit a lot. And, um, yeah, we just wanted to get some bigger tricks on it. I was uh, – it's step-up jumps, for those of you who are not familiar, the way the math works of them is really, really shitty to hit because you have to go as fast as you've ever gone on a snowboard, but pretty touchdown landing because you're going up at an insanely high speed, but then you're not falling out of the sky. You're kind of coming into contact with the snow lighter because the landing's up here. And uh, yeah, they suck to do in runs on, but you get a lot of airtime and most of your trick, whether it's a step down or a jump on a roller, most of your trick happens on that upward axis. A lot less of the trick happens on the fall. So they're great for big tricks. I was trying single rodeos, just back rodeo sevens, and I got one, but it just felt so unnatural. 
because I literally don't think I've ever gone that fast on my snowboard hitting this thing. And you just are getting blasted out of a pirate cannon into the air. And it just it felt crazy. And uh, I also didn't really like the look of the shot when we were like landing at the top of that step up knuckle. I wanted to take it like past to the downhill part. So I just thought like, oh, maybe I can just take this double. And I never tried a double rodeo before in my life. And I just kind of leaned back, held the grab, dipped my head a little harder. And the first one like came around pretty much like that. Like they started looking proper right away. Just took me a few tries to land it. And even that one that you just played, I actually only rode out for about 15 feet. 15 feet. Oh, it's I a quick clip. That's a quick oh, clip, damn. huh? Yeah. Well, then you kind of did this one. What's the name of the jump that you did in the Man Boys video where you just like went to the fucking yeah. stratosphere <laughs> on that one? Axis was a little different on that one, hey? A little more yeah. flippy. Uh, that was in Revelstoke, up a backcountry zone called McCray. Uh, that jump's pretty famous too. I don't recall the name on it, but uh, Dan Breezy's had a bunch of insane clips on it. Craven's hit it a bunch. Um, kind of a, that one's kind of a classic jump on a roll, good big tricks. That day was crazy. That day, um, we'd had kind of a, a bad stretch. Like none of us had really gotten any backcountry shots for like a month. And we were doing a movie, a, the man boys movie that year that we were going to sell on iTunes. And it was going to be our first like legit movie for sale. So a lot of pressure and yeah, we had the whole crew in Revelstoke that day. It was, uh, myself, Rusty Ockenden, Mark Sollers, Craig McMorris, Jody Wachniak, Matt Belziel. Yeah, six riders and two filmers. And anyways, uh, collectively, as a crew, we got 14, like, A shots that made it in the movie that day. One day. Jeez. Yeah. So that's what we call a beatdown. <laughs> yeah. That was a beatdown on McRae. Yeah. Cheese wedge beatdown. <laughs> Amazing. Now, let's talk about some other stuff with backcountry because there's, it's not just, like, cheese wedges. You have, you have cheese wedges. You have step downs. You have pat downs. You have natural features and you have lines and for you a lot of guys are specialized there's cheese wedge guys there's big line guys but you like to ride all of it why do you why do you like to be an atv i like to ride all of it just because i i mean i think it's really fun uh just to actually the act of doing it (laughs) like i will never get tired of hitting jumps even as i get older like i really like doing like a big cab nine on a jump like especially a new gap jump that we built and made work like i just find it exciting and a lot of fun um, but I also think when you're watching a video part, like I think it's important to have, if it's a strictly backcountry part, you want to have snowboarding in it too. Like you want to have it all. You kind of need that glue to hold the meat and potatoes together. And um, I definitely used to like only jump and hit step downs, but last kind of, you know, six, seven years of my snowboard career, I've like started to play with natural terrain a little more. And I really don't think I'll ever be that guy that is like riding down like a psycho spine with like exposure everywhere and like you know a lot of a lot of critical decisions to memorize and make mistakes on i kind of like big lines where you can incorporate some portion of freestyle snowboarding into it like a little safer line mini golf maybe there's two or three critical decisions but then of the at the end of it you're in the clear and you can do like a natty front five off something you know i like watching that stuff too yeah, yeah totally makes you want to go snowboard more 100 percent. with that said that shit that travis did and Dark matter was, yeah, uh, crazy. If you could die like, at any moment, yeah, if you go right or left. Oh yeah, like forty six decisions to remember <laughs> on, on like one line. Yeah, forty six dukes. Forty. Speaking of Travis, I have a uh, another Patreon question for you. Oh, this is from Christopher Pittman. What would it take to get a Rodney versus Daywan style video series going with T Ricky and the Canadian T Ricky? 
That's a great question. Uh, we might have to talk to Travis about one <laughs> about that one. Um, I think he's a little little busy these days. Um, <laughs> he, he just had a kid, and he's been working on this like little contest series, kind of this like little backyard, you know, backcountry series. Uh, you may have heard about it. It's called Natural Selection. Takes all season. Um, huh? Yeah, it takes, <laughs> takes a bit of time, but but uh, but yeah, we should set that up. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> How is it having Travis as a goddamn mentor, dude? That just seems yeah. fucking wild. He took you under it's, his wing. Yeah, yeah, he really did. It's I, I honestly can't. I know he's been given a lot of praise on this on this podcast, but I can't say enough good things about that dude. Um, I think maybe some people, because he's so famous, maybe have a skewed vision of him and. You know how it is. It's lonely up here at the top. When when you succeed, there are going to be a group of people that kind of want to beat you down and talk shit about what you're what you're doing. But he is like so brilliant, so talented, and so like caring to like help and like pay it forward. And uh, yeah, I've been a fan of his for a while, and finally met him I think in 2010, um, like on a random team trip in New Zealand. And yeah, he just kind of started like helping me in the in the first uh the first thing was like inviting me on that AK trip. We were we were going to try and execute what he had done with Elias and Dark Matter, but we just kind of got screwed on conditions. And so we made that truffle pigs at it and we just hit cheese wedges in AK, but it was super fun. And then through that, he like, you know, pushed like him and Pete Sorry are the reason. I have a pro model with LibTech, like he just like pushed for it and pushed for it and I've been riding his board for years and he just called me one day and was like, "Yeah, I he's like, "Guaranteed you're you're uh, the reason for a large portion of my sales definitely in Canada. And he's like, you need your own board. And yeah, can't say enough good things about that guy. Let's give him the super air horn. What do you think? Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah, Trev. (laughs) Now I want to talk, you mentioned briefly filming for truffle pigs, your guys's project in that video. There's one session in particular at the end where you, you go first and cab nine, a hog (laughs) hog town. And you kind of like wheelie out a little bit on the first one, and he's like, "Go again." Yeah. Uh, I just want to know what that session was like. It looked fucking wild. Yeah, I mean that whole trip was wild, dude. Like we're we're in the Tordrillos, Alaska. Huge shout out to TML Lodge because if you have the money, um, that place is probably one of probably one of the sickest places to go snowboarding in the world. It's so sick. But yeah, we're out there, and the conditions are just junk. Like it was it was like two hundred kilometer an hour winds, hundred twenty miles for. American, something like <laughs> I that. I can never get the conversion yeah. right on that. Um, just like howling beyond belief. It literally blew all the snow like out of the stratosphere. Uh, Travis knows that area like the back of his hand. And we spent like five hours of heli time flying around trying to find rideable snow. And we just could not do it. Um, like borderline dangerous, just trying to get it down anything. So the only thing we could do when we were still out there is like go to these like mid glacial, glacial protected areas where the snow was like, okay, like styrofoamy. So every jump we were hitting on that trip was pretty scary. Like normally probably snow you'd not want to build a big jump into. And uh, yeah, we found that glacier gap, fired that thing up, kept it nice and clean looking in true Travis style. He doesn't like footprints everywhere. He wants those blocks to be, he wants that thing looking neat. He's an mm-hmm. aesthetics guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we Roshammed. I lost the Rosham and went first, went cab nine first try, almost got it, like landed in the sweet spot, but kind of wasn't ready for the impact and the bad snow wheelied out a bit. Uh, went down to the heli, got bumped back up, was ready for Travis to go. And he's like, dude, you're so close. It's in your head. Like, just go and get it, which I thought was such a boss move. Like, he's there. He wants tricks too. And so I went immediately after and then stomped it perfectly. And yeah, then we got the session going. But that thing was, that was a crazy jump. Yeah. We took high a, speed. 
beat down on it after like both of us after we got like our main tricks like I like looped out on a front seven tail and like popped a rib out. Like it, that jump was crazy. Bit of a jacket flapper, you might say. <laughs> I think it was a jacket flapper. <laughs> so oh, he doesn't yeah. like footprints all around, so you got to limit your walking. Yeah, the building He'll, like jumps tell at, you. Oh yeah, building jumps with Travis. Don't is, walk over there. He's which it's funny because I'm kind of down. Like I'm like I'm the guy on the crew, especially more recent years. That's like really trying to think about what those shots are going to look like, especially if we have a drone out or if a photographer's yeah. got a, like a cool angle. I'm like, let's keep the sled tracks to a minimum. Let's keep this clean. Uh, Rusty sometimes is just like, bah, bah, yeah, bah, 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 like buzzing all over the place. All sorts and then, of people are always like, totally. That. Like Chris um, over here is probably rude. I've high marked a landing that people have hit later that day. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Nice. Sometimes you got it. Um, Some people can't help themselves. You, you lose. You start to dude. lose bodily control when you get on the sled. It's <laughs> yeah, so damn funny. Like, ah, you're like my it, thumb starts twitching. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. like if I'm out there and I'm not snowboarding that day, and sometimes I just want to wreck all the snowboard shit. I'm just like. <laughs> So, yeah, anyways, building jumps with Travis, he's, like, all about keeping that shit clean because he comes from, you know, his background are these, like, super high-budget, like, yeah. beautiful productions. And so that shit's important. Like, and you have, like, four cameras on a jump and, like, a drone or a helicopter or whatever. Like, you can't have shit all over the place. So when you build a jump with him, he's, like, all about, like, cutting into the in-run to get your blocks instead of making, like, giant block pits. Oh, on either side. Totally. So especially if it's, like, a bit of a downhill build, like, instead of just making a giant block pit and getting a big ugly wedge he's like he taught me how to like block into the in run and then you keep that shit clean then you smooth it out after and the jump goes up from there brings the in run lower so it gets more hittable but yeah watch those footprints or he's gonna like, he'll say something also oh, yeah, th there's uh listeners that are like what the hell's a block oh yeah a block um <laughs> in in the powders <laughs> when you're in the back country and the snow consolidates, it kind of builds these layers underneath it. And so you have the fresh powder on top. And when you're building jumps, you basically just dig down, you know, a couple inches sometimes, sometimes a couple feet until you hit that hard snow layer, hard snow layer. And then you can literally just get out a snow saw and cut like igloo blocks out of it. And that's how we build our backcountry jumps, snow blocks. That's okay. crazy that he doesn't build from the side too. That's a that's a good thought. That's actually, actually yeah. but moving the snow is a pain in the ass. Yeah, you gotta, when you got the hole there, you just chuck it right there. You got to totally. carry the blocks. Yeah. Out. I don't know if I back that honestly. Well, I'm sure depending on, I'm sure it's situational. Like the, and we did build another jump on that trip where like we had to make a big pit by the side. But I think it's more like if there's an option to put in a bit a bit more effort and keep this clean, like he's gonna do it. And if there's a drone and if or a heli, like you exactly. got to make sure it's clean. Yeah. Totally. I love watching the evolution of snowboard jumps over the years. When you watch old videos, like old Mac dog, it's like it's the pile of snow. just a pile of snow. And it's like <laughs> just evolution. a shitty mound. It yeah, looks like it totally. doesn't have the right kick. Yeah. And as you, over the years, these cheese wedges have been just perfect. Yes. Just perfectly sculpted igloos. It's a bit of Manicured. a skill. Like it, it's, it's definitely a skill in itself. Like building the jump properly, making sure it's structurally safe, you know, packing snow and all the cracks um, yeah, even when I started, you just kind of like pile snow until you can hit it. Like, just keep on throwing snow there, keep on walking on it. I'm like, oh, it's a thing now. Yeah. Now it's like, you, you know, you build oh, Who's properly. the worst shoveler on the Man Boys crew? Jody. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, this is just fun now. So I'm just going to keep this going. It might not be Jody. It's probably usually whoever's filming us, like, you know, Ben Webb for a few years, Nate Laverty before that. Um, Rusty's our filmer now, actually, because he's, he's not a paid professional anymore. And, He's kind of dealing with a bit of a back issue right now, so that's his no shoveling excuse. Oh, oh he's, he's not the back issue. Uh, that's yeah. a classic one. Yeah. Classic oh, my back. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, we kind of wondered because this back issue started for him like early summer, but we kind of wondered if it was like a long. He's playing the long, the long game. game. Yeah, like that's a nice smart. Long sure. plan. Yeah, yeah. Smart, uh, smart guy. If I is that if I'm a filmer, come like uh, maybe around Thanksgiving time. Like I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start suddenly having back Pull issues. Pulled back. Pulled my muscle. Yeah. <laughs> starting Thanksgiving. <laughs> totally. And when it's kicker time, that's yeah. still. Yeah, still the hurts. back's definitely still a problem. I was even kind of thinking, you know, now that we've been like putting an emphasis on like you know apprenticing younger snowboarders, like. We don't really need to dig. Like I can kind of just be there telling him what to do. If mm-hmm. you think about it, like I'm hooking, I'm hooking Miskimin up. Yeah. So you know he's got a shovel for two now. <laughs> Have you guys thought about using smelling salts to uh, enhance the work while while shoveling? No, we haven't actually. <laughs> Have you ever hit That's, one? No, never. Oh yeah. So all you're gonna want to do is hit one of these run through wall smelling salts. You're gonna give it a squeeze okay. like this. It'll turn red, and once it turns red, give it a. Oh, like I just oh. I just smell yeah. the fumes. Just smell the fumes. Yeah. Okay. Woo. Oh my god! <coughs> oh yeah! Whoa! I got that you, one. Good. You, let me get another one. You're right now. You're right. Cap to build nine. I'm going cap yeah. twelve, baby. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Holy yeah! Whew. All right. Dude. I don't know. Just something you want to consider bringing uh, some sniffers Still up. Still lingering around my mic. Yeah. Cheese wedge. Yeah. You know what? You just keep those in your pocket, and just right before you drop, you hit one of those, Shit. and you're like, yeah. Oh, let's yeah. go. You are do ready. This. Yeah. No, I think you're. You're like, I'm going cab five. You get to the lip. You're going cab fourteen. Yeah. Oh, 100 percent. One of those. I know with we were the cold mountain air. <laughs> that would, Dude, would just go. He's got some bite. I know we were talking about uh, Craig McMorris earlier when we were off air, and how he's a he's a hockey boy, but. Um, I actually mentioned smelling salts to him. I'm like, why don't you bring them like to the streets? And he's like, I'd go too crazy. He's like, I, he's like, I don't think that's, I think it would, it's too much. Too much. I was like, oh, I mean, which is fair. Cause the shit he hits in the streets, like he's hitting some Bach features. Now earlier you, uh, breezed over on the fact that Lib gave you a promo and, yeah. uh, you got, you have a pretty cool, notable art graphic. Uh, I believe we have a, a earlier Patreon question about that, buds. So we have a Patreon question from Powder Pirate. How was the process of designing your own pro model? What did you change about the T-Rice board to make it your own? And tell us about the graphics. Well, thank you for the question. Powder Pilot, was that his name? Powder uh, Pirate. Pirate. Powder Pirate. Pirate. Dope name. He's going to steal um, all your... Give me your powder. <laughs> he's gonna be he's gonna be commandeering this yeah. booth real quick. I'm here to commandeer um. your powder. <laughs> I think he has an eye patch. Hundred percent. With a name like that, he's got it. Um, yeah, the process of designing a pro model snowboard, especially with a company like LibTech, um, is really rad. You basically it starts off by thinking about the art. Um, you start chatting with an artist that you want to work with, talk about some concepts. Um, if you don't have an idea, that's fine too. You can kind of just like tell them some stuff you like and get a conversation, kind of a think bubble going. And then you go from there. And then, um, yeah, then you, then it's about construction and you talk to the designers at LibTech. LibTech, like I got to give a shout out to Steve Cobb. Um, he's yeah. Huge air horn for him. He's kind of like the, um, you know, the, the man behind the boards that nobody's heard of. Uh, he's, he's responsible for a lot of their technology. He, I'm going to say he invented magnet traction, which is pretty sick. Um, yeah, and yeah, I just heavy, right? Th- yeah, totally. My first two boards with Mervin were just T Rice Pros. They were they were living in Travis's line, but offered in a different size and with my graphic on them. So they were literally the Travis board, different graphic, different size. Um, I wanted to, we wanted to kind of move away from that and uh, offer something different. So it wasn't just the T Rice Pro, and so we just wanted to kind of shave it to the type of riding I do, which is backcountry freestyle, I guess is the best way you could classify it. So keep it like a stiff 
freestyle style board, but beef up the nose a little bit so it's got more float. Taper in the tail because you are going, you know, you're right for me goofy most of the time. And um, yeah, just make it like a better POW stick that can still ride switch well. So for the newest one, that's kind of what we did. We we put a lot of emphasis on like creating more float up here, keeping it nice and stiff. So when you land something big, the nose doesn't bend. You're not going to like go over the bars because that nose is flexing too much. And then we pulled material out of the tail just so it's got a bit more wiggle in the trees. Sounds phenomenal. And what's up with the octopus graphic? Yeah, so the the uh, octopus graphic has kind of been like a reoccurring theme in like a lot of LibTech boards. But for me, I've just always, like I love the ocean, love ocean creatures, animals in general. And uh, I've always just thought octopuses were fascinating. Like they're like a really bizarre and strange creature. And they're like super like curious and like it seems like they they're starting to realize that they have like senses of hu- humor and they're like little communities and like when they have them in aquariums and stuff and um yeah for the first one i did with the octopus i had this idea where i wanted to have like an eagle bald eagle swooping in to like attack the octopus kind of make it look like a pacific northwest vibe where myself and mervin manufacturing is from and um yeah that just kind of carried on into this one and this one was more of like a sci-fi like interstellar inspired graphic like you remember that scene from interstellar where they land on that water planet and the giant tidal wave comes mm-hmm. that's kind of where the inspo came for this one that idea popped in my head so it's like a intergalactical traveler he could be from another dimension he could be someone from the future that's open to interpretation he's crash landed on a weird planet weird ocean planet that also has big crazy mountains in the background and there's a giant octopus taking down a ship so you might want to eat some mushrooms and yeah, stare get, at that get somewhere. Deep. Yeah, totally. I like it. Uh, are you able to pick your own artist or does, does they just throw an artist at you that works works for them? Uh LibTech is great about it. Uh, I get to pick my own artist. That's cool. Yeah. Obviously you have to like you have to you can't go full rogue. You gotta yeah. work within the parameters of like what's gonna fit in the line. Yeah, what they need. I would say, I mean, from what I've talked to other athletes about, I would say LibTech gives me quite a bit of freedom, which is nice. And can we get back to octopuses having a sense of humor? I wonder what their jokes are like yeah, in, the, I, in the aquarium. I, I mean, do you have any octopus like podcasts? <laughs> yeah. or they like they apparently they they like reported to like steal and like hide things. Oh, okay. And then <laughs> like pull it jokes. out later, yeah, and be like, check it out, I got it here. And like there was like some uh, some article I read, and there was like like a bit of footage of it, but like some octopus octopus or these fish kept on going missing at this aquarium in like a separate tank and they're like what is going on like what is happening where are these fish going and then they realized the octopus was getting out of its tank like it was like climbing out and it would go into the other tank and like eat a fish and then go back in (laughs) so they put like a latch on the octopus's uh, cage or whatever and it opened that latch figured out how to get out and then climbed up to the camera and was like like grabbing the camera with its tentacles so it like somehow knew that they were recording them. Somehow was able to comprehend in its weird little octopus brain, eight brains that like that thing was like an eye, and the reason it got busted was because there was a camera there. They have eight like, brains. Yeah, they have. Well, they have like their main brain, and then they have like a separate brain in each one of their tentacles. Wow, I heard there's yeah. a Netflix documentary mm-hmm. about some guy that like befriended an octopus, and he kept finding the same one. And yeah, my the, the octopus teacher. Yeah, that guy's a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, they became <laughs> homies but, but, or yeah. something. That I think mean, that I really liked that documentary. It was cool, and it's actually kind of funny that documentary came out around the time that my first pro model with the octopus really? was coming out, and I was like, "This is perfect." O- yeah. octopus stocks are going up. Like, <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is getting hot. <laughs> but yeah, that doc was sick. But he, I think he just he was like this. Uh, guy that got really into free diving 
like in a really cold climate. He was doing it with no wetsuit. And um, he just like kept on seeing this octopus in the same area. And yeah, it got really curious. And he was just starting to like see that it had this like really complex personality for an animal that you, most people would disregard as calamari, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and like, I mean, they're wild. They're wild. And they're, they're very different than squids. Like squids are a lot more instinctual. Octopus, octopuses seem to exhibit exhibit a lot more like curious and intellectual behavior. Yeah, they're supposedly very intellectual. Wow. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Now, uh, talking about lib tech, this is a, an interesting subject. So I was talking to Scott Stevens the other day and he rides a flat camber board and he's like, geez, man, I've, been, I've just been going through a lot of camber shaming. You know, a lot of people uh, are, are purists about riding uh, full camber and <laughs> lib tech is known for riding reverse camber and, and it gets kind of a uh, reverse camber can be a punching bag for or some, uh, do you, f- do you feel like you've been a victim of camber shaming? Dude, snowboarders are the worst for like, for accepting change. Snowboarders <laughs> hate change. Snowboarders are so damn stubborn. Like, nah, the best. No, no, it's not like, dude, the old ways were the best. Like it was the best when it was like this. Um, yeah. Camber's great. You do get a little bit more pop on hardback with camber. Maybe it'll carve better. But personally for me, what I like to do that C2X camber that LibTech makes works the best. It's got great float and powder. You still get like good snap when you need it. And um, yeah, you can like sink in a weird powder landing and the nose just kind of pops up. But yeah, for whatever reason right now, it seems like camp- reverse camber. Is, is it of, fully is reverse camber or is it like flat in the middle and then reverse on the nose and tail? There's no flat in, in the C2X oh, it's, one. It's, it's fully like, reverse camber. Yeah, so between the bindings, it's like reverse camber. And then at the bindings, it goes back to camber. So ah. when you step on it, you get that camber feel in hard pack. But then when it's like de-weighted or if it's like in the pow, the board will like spring up a little bit and you get a bit of lift. But, um, but yeah, I there's a lot know. of camber, like camber shaming going totally. on. Totally. And like, obviously my, the type of snowboarding that I do is like, in it, it's, it's this like one niche thing, just like guys who are exclusively park. That's, that's one niche thing. Guys and girls that are exclusively rails. That's its own thing. So I don't know. Once I can't speak powder, in absolutes like, about that. When you're in the powder, it's like everything kind of works. You, know? also, if it yeah, works you could ride a door in powder. Yeah, that's what I was always, if you're a good rider, you could ride that door down a slope. <laughs> Put some it seems to work it. for T. Ricky, but yeah, uh, that's a good case in point. Well, buds, we've been cruising along. You know what it's time for? Name that video part. Oh. Sam, you guys are so fun to talk to. I almost forgot about this part. <laughs> this is here we go. Name that video part is presented by the Icon Pass, isn't it, Buds? It is. Did you know, Chris, that the Icon Pass has fifty destinations worldwide? Fifty. That's a lot of places to go. Uh, ragdoll through powder, or hit par- great park jumps, or even turn on some cord, Buds. I heard that uh, the Icon Pass welcomes three legendary do- new destinations to its family of mountains. You can explore the storied slopes of Chamonix in France, the sun-drenched scenes of Sun Valley, Idaho, and the powder pillow deep history of Snow Basin here in Utah. They got it's Snow right Basin in our backyard. Huh? It is. Yep. Let's hit that up. So if you're thinking about boarding, be sure to get yourself an Icon Pass this year. That being said, let's get into Name That Video part. This is where man boys become men or boys. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if you can remember, like... Years worth of snowboard videos, probably boys. Yeah. Boys, like, is that valuable? You know, brain bandwidth. Yes, exactly. Let's yeah, see what he's got. Yeah, let's see how you do. So, what's your confidence level? Zero through ten. <sighs> oh man, I don't know. It really depends. Like, if I owned that movie, like I will know every single song and part in it. But I'm gonna go with a six. Okay. Yeah. 
This is big okay. for you. If you don't get this, this could be really, really bad. I just oh, want you to know that. I just want to know. Yeah, your mountain really, credit will go down. Yeah, this is huge. So here we go. <laughs> uh, Travis Rice Neverland. <laughs> Woo! That was quick. He's with riding it. his stallion. <laughs> I think he fit, he had that like crazy American flag. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I was like, buddy, but yeah, that hits, <laughs> that that part is so um, just a testament to how like easy some certain things are for him. Like that year was just like an in between year of like brain farm movies, and he just went out for like eight days in Jackson. I heard and filmed that whole part. Jeez, it's just like boom, 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 boom. Okay. Must be nice. Yeah, he was on to some, be rice. He was on yeah. some shit. Must be nice to be rice. <laughs> now, uh, for part two of Name That Video Part, you guys have a chance to win a little bomb hole prize pack. If you know what song this is, uh, head on over to Instagram and comment on the thumbnail photo of Chris Rasman, and that's where we pick our winner. And here we go. I think uh, I think the Canadians from your generation or from your area might appreciate this one as a little morsel of uh, information. Here we go. Okay, thank you guys for playing. I don't know if I got that one. It might be a little before your time. Sounds familiar. Name that video part. Now, since we're talking video parts, and the video part is the holy grail of snowboarding, at least the people of our generation, why we do name that video part, why we like to try to preserve the culture, but there's also this little thing that's happening called Instagram. And uh, what is your take on Instagram versus video part and both of their importance? <laughs> oh, I feel like it, that that question is like such a hot topic these days among snowboarders from our generation because we're living in the age of social media and it's just like, you know, if you, if you can't grow with it, you're going to like dinosaurs will die, right? So it is important to like acknowledge the way of the new world and how marketing works. But I come from an era where it was all about snowboard movies and video parts and you waited all season and then all summer. And then the fall you got to go and like buy this movie that these group of people that you looked up to spent all this time and money working on for your viewing pleasure. And you would just watch that stuff on repeat. And they're like, they're like art projects in a way, you know, like a nice edited video part with like, rad snowboarding cool music like um yeah it's special and so uh even though the world's the snowboard world is changing part of me is like whatever i'm gonna keep on doing things the way i like to do it and that's kind of what we're doing with man boys like we do we do try and evolve and you know stay with the times but we also just kind of want to stay true to our roots because we like that art project foundation of what like a snowboard video part is and they can be timeless and you can kind of like put your flag in the snowboard timeline if you have like a video part that people remember or whether like the song really hit for some people or like the footage did and instagram instagram clips and youtube edits get lost like people watch them once they might not even make it through the whole thing they keep on scrolling they might even just watch it on their phone and that's gone forever like you're not gonna unless it was like really impactful people aren't going to be like going and looking that up later um but yeah, I don't know. It is such a loaded conversation. I understand Instagram works really well for marketing. It's a good way to get stuff out there. And as athletes, it really like helps us now get our stuff out there and let our fans and our viewers kind of get a little like glimpse into our lives, who we are, what our day-to-days look like. Um, yeah. 
it's, a, it's, it's a, good such and a, bad. It's such an interesting one. Thinking about as you're talking, yeah. I was also just thinking about too. It's like how we grew up. It's like you get the you get the VHS, the DVD, you put it in, and it was like everything was watched on a TV. So so you're watching all your shit on a TV, and you're like, you know, you're crowded around. Oh, we're gonna go snowboarding tomorrow. Like tomorrow, like I would get home. You know, you, you have your fucking sleeve of DVDs. You put it in there. Yeah. And and there's so much stuff consumed on a phone, I know, which is like, man. which is yeah. great for single tricks and things on gram, and you're scro- scrolling through. But I still do think when I go on trips with, with the boys, we're, we're throwing YouTube on, and we're just going to YouTube and on the TV. Yeah. And we're watching parts. So it's like I think that parts still live on YouTube and can still uh, do the thing, but it's a damn shame when people are out there with a red camera, mm-hmm. you have T Ricky building a perfectly manicured yeah. fucking wedge and, and it's filmed on like seven K or whatever the hell the camera you're is. You're watching on a four inch screen. And you're watching it on a fucking screen. <laughs> I know. It's doing a goddamn injustice. It's just that's, you are doing a huge disservice to the snowboard industry and the people that put in a lot of work to this by strictly watching it on your phone. Now with that said, do what you want to do. Like if you if you don't have the time or you just really don't care, like that's fine too. But if you like snowboarding and you like consuming snowboard content, just know how much goes into this. Like we're not just like you know, rock stars. Like the money isn't there like it used to be. A lot of work has to go into it cuz the level is growing and there's a lot of passion that goes into it and we know we're lucky, but watch it on a screen. You'll enjoy it more. You'll probably want to rewatch it and Better, better viewing experience. <laughs> another Max. point too is like you mentioned working hard for it just now, and another thing that's cool is like uh, Mikey actually kind of enlightened me on this rents about like you know you you've pretty much worked a job through your major a lot of your career where there's times where I figured you were on the on the pro level where you're you can take the summers off like. You know, most the rest of the entitled, uh, spoiled fucking professional <laughs> snowboarder uh, fucking community that are just such entitled pieces of shit, myself included. And uh, <laughs> basically, you were able to, um, like, you you had to you had to work, right? Yeah, totally. I think kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier about me being like a late bloomer in the sense of, you know, a marketed snowboarder. Like, I just kind of had like a slow uphill climb, from industry speaking. Um, I think because of that and because of my timing becoming a pro snowboarder, I kind of missed the boat on that like big money for backcountry snowboarders. And I also was like blowing up and getting good when like backcountry movies were dying, like people were caring less and it's kind of coming full circle right now. I feel like, like I even feel like with movies and premieres, there's like a yearning for a snowboard community again. I feel like that is coming back. But because of that, because of the timing, because of the way things went, like I never really made much money. Like, um, huge thank you to like all my brands current and past that have like supported me along the way. But like, I've always had to work a summer job and I've never really been bummed about it either. It's just kind of like part of the process because when I'm out there all winter doing that in the mountains, I know regardless of the money I'm making, I'm a one percenter, even just living where I live. Like that is like, you know, I'm so privileged and fortunate to be able to just do that that it never really bothered me that much. I would say the only times I would get bummed was when I would like see like the training that other athletes got to do in the off season. Like that was the only time where I'd kind of get jealous. I was like, man, like I'm like working labor and other people get to like take care of their body and go on surf trips and do this all summer. That was where I would get a little bit envious, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's just part of it for me. And I think people out there, it's important to know that like, especially like if you want to like be a pro snowboarder, like, don't do it because you have your eyes on like a rock star prize because those 
that is like few and far between. There's a very small amount of riders that have that. Do it because you love it. You enjoy the lifestyle. Like, like you mentioned, Chris, I think a lot of people probably, cause I've been around for so long. A lot of people probably would look at me and think that I'm, you know, making well over six figures, but like never has that been a thing. And that's okay. I just love this process. Like, I don't know what I would be doing if I didn't like go into the back country every day on a snowmobile and try and get clips. Well, it's not going to last forever either. So the sooner you start working, the better, right? Well, there's also what, to what Bud's is saying too, is when you work your whole career and all right, let's just take and vice versa. If you, if you start getting paid at a young age and you never fucking work, when reality hits, it hits a lot fucking harder. It hits a lot harder. Whereas when you're, you've already worked and then you get to not work for a little Mm. bit, then you're like, oh, just fucking going back to what I was just doing. That's a really good point too. Cause like, I will say like, I'm, I'm not just cause of the way the industry is and like, I'm not making crazy money right now, but I, I have very awesome and supportive sponsors right now that have like, um, rewarded the, you know, the work I've done and the success in the last few years. And like, I'm, I'm doing good now. I'm comfortable. And so last summer was actually the first summer that I took off not working. I wanted to see what it felt like. I was like, I want to take a summer off as like a pro athlete and be like, I'm just going to do exactly what I want this year. I bought a jet ski. I did a bunch of cool camping missions with Solars and I just like enjoyed it. And, uh, it was awesome. I had a lot of fun, but one thing I will say is all the moments in between those cool trips and those sunny days and those fun camping parties, I was waking up a lot feeling like a bit of a lack of purpose. I was like, I just can wake up and go do whatever I want today. Like, that's kind of crazy. Like I don't have any responsibility. I don't, I like, it was kind of bizarre. And um, I think because of that, I don't think I'm going to do that again next summer. Like I think (laughs) I'm going to like do something work towards something that I can do after snowboarding, like just some sort of work, some sort of skill building, you know, Got yourself a uh, jet ski. You're like the Kenny Powers of Canada up there. Huh? Dude, damn straight. <laughs> the do? Oh, yeah. Can the I? do is. Oh, my God. I love that thing. <laughs> it's the snowmobile of the water, except the act of driving the water. It isn't quite as fun. Like, it's, you know, the water's either smooth or the water's bumpy, but it's more like the places you can get. Like, dude, we had so much fun on those things this summer. Dude, that's tight. All right. We got to talk about your avalanche that you got into last year. I believe it was in Canada somewhere. Uh, heliporting? No, it was actually uh, snowmobile access, half hiking, half snowmobile access um, in the Pemberton Ice Caps. Okay, well, I have the clip right here. Why don't you just talk us through what happened here? Okay, so I entered by this big cornice, kind of slid down this steep section, aired off like a 15-foot cliff there, landed, started ripping down the chute. Toe side turn, some soft slabs started to break. I didn't see the first one. Then on that one, I saw it. Kind of took a quick check, looked, saw it was only about six inches of soft slab and had to make a quick decision, either stop at, stop at my safe spot there or keep boarding. I chose to keep boarding. I was like, maybe this will be a clip. I think I'm fine. It's a small amount of snow moving. I can manage it. Keep on working my way down the ridge. Dump speed on the hit. I planned to go huge off. Did a little 10-foot front three. Landed. That face below me rips. I realize I'm getting pulled towards a cliff, so I slam on the brakes in a panic and the brake slam made the whole convex roll go. And right now you see, I'm getting pulled off a cliff by all that moving snow. Uh, I pulled my airbag, um, bounced off a bunch of rocks and then, uh, yeah. And it all settled and I was like fully buried, um, except for my airbag in my head. Uh, that thing like fully like worked and saved my life there. Kept me out of the snow. Um, yeah, it was a gnarly one. (laughs) 
How was how was actually Dude. getting to the airbag? Like I always never, you know, you always wonder about getting to the pole. Was it was it pretty just instinctual? Boom. Yeah, it was, and they definitely like when those things first came out. Like uh, uh, guides and the companies that made them would basically say like the second you're in an avalanche, pull it. But as they started to be around for longer and they were being used in the field, what they've realized is you actually want to do everything you can to get out of that avalanche and get up before you pull the airbag. Because once you pull that thing, you're a very large object and you're just going to go with wherever the snow is going to push you. You can't really control what's going on. So if there's a way out, you scramble out first. Like if you can bounce to your feet and like traverse to safety or like try and outrun it, if you know there's nothing sketchy below you. In that instance, when I slammed on the brakes, that whole face ripped. I instantly had my feet swept out from underneath me and I was on my back and I knew I was going with the natural flow of it, which was over rocks. And yeah, over uh, that cliff. Over that cliff and uh, no terrain trap, but there, it was like a nice smooth run out, but I just knew that there was going to be a lot of snow from that face moving. So I pulled it right away because I had no control going over the rocks and it's easy to get to. It's like, it's right there on your strap. You can get to it quick. And uh, in that moment, um, when you hear the pop and you know the canister is working and you know that thing's full filling it's like it's like relieving but so intense it's just like and it's fucking hectic and crazy and you can't see anything and yeah i was like bouncing off of rocks on that one did it protect you a little bit from bouncing on rocks too i think so i think i like inspected it after and it didn't have any holes uh but i think i felt like kind of some around my back there um that it probably because it does like protect your shoulders and your neck from rocks I always wear a helmet when I ride lines. Um, it's a whole separate conversation, but anytime there's like exposure around or I'm on big terrain like that, I wear a helmet. Uh, I don't wear one hitting jumps because I feel like that can actually give you more whiplash. But anyways, whole separate thing. But yeah. So what? looking at that line, in retrospect, uh, what do you think you could have done to mitigate uh, the outcome and decisions you could have made better? First off, I'll say when, when analyzing these scenarios, it's always important to... to uh, like be kind to yourself and acknowledge, especially in this age we're in where there's a lot of criticism in like avalanche scenarios and glorifying avalanches in movies. It's important to like acknowledge what you did right. Um, what we did right as a crew was talk about the avalanche conditions that day, talk about the snowpack. Um, it was moderate all around and uh, the small worrisome layer was very small. So it was, it was essentially like the best of days to ride big terrain. Um, Another plus, I chose to wear a helmet. Another plus, chose to wear, wear an airbag. Another plus, we had a plan for something in the event of a burial. Like we had, you know, the other athletes in place that could get there quick. So those are all positives. Um, negatives was mainly that I should have made different decisions mid-slope. Uh, when I made that second turn where I saw that there was a slide happening and all of that soft slab had like bonded together and was just like kind of ripping away. It was like about six inch soft slab, but on a big, that sounds like not much, but on a big slope like that, that snow builds up quickly. It's a lot of moving snow, moving fast. I had a safe spot. I had a plan where I could have stopped on a ridge. I could have just waited out the slide to keep going. Could have radioed, canceled the shot. Guys, it's done. Abort. I'm riding out of the Avi debris now, safe and fine. But in that moment, um, my ego kicked in uh, and I had just come off uh, natural selection, Alaska. Uh, I was a little disappointed with my performance out there. I thought I could have turned it up a notch. I wish I would have done better. I had uh, been quarantining in a hotel room for 72 hours and then at my house for another 12 days. Cause those are the Canadian rules at the time. So 
I was just in kind of a crazy mental space and feeling like I needed to prove something. It was like first day back out filming and I'm like, I'm going to, I can ride lines. Like I'm going to have some badass lines in my part. So yeah, in that moment, um, I just, I made the decision to, to keep going and to make it a clip. I'm like split second decision. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep this shot going. There's going to be a lot of moving snow. It's manageable. It's all fanning that way. I'm on the ridge. This is going to be okay. Like I can manage this safely. And so I kept on going down, wanted to blast off that bump at the bottom, like 60 feet. Like I wanted to take it so big on a front three, but because of the slide, I just kind of like tiptoed in very carefully, nervously, and just did a small front three. But then even when I landed that one on the panel above the rocks, that face went. Um, so obviously bad decision. Should have stopped, should have aborted the shot. But now I'm in the point of no return. I've, I've got to like navigate what's happened there. Next bad decision, which is like, you know, can't really be too hard on myself about this one because these are like split second moments. But in retrospect, after I landed that front three, I could have pointed it straight, gone into the, like where the debris was and it would have fanned out way nicer there. And I still could have pulled my bag, but I would, would have been out of rock hazard. But instead my like quick moment of panic was to slam on the brakes because I was going towards that cliff. That like brake slam made the whole face rip. And that's which in turn pulled me over the rocks. Very, very good detailed analyzation of that. Yeah, it uh, sounds like you put a lot of thought into what you could and couldn't didn't do, huh? Yeah, and you have to. Um, you ha- it's important to talk about these things after. It's important to debrief with your crew because that's how you learn. Yeah, how that's how you can like mitigate those risks after. And and I also I recently had um, Pat Moore and Jeff Pensiero's avalanche course that they do up at Baldface. I did a case study on that avalanche in front of all the athletes there, and talked about it and. A big, a big thing that is kind of new in like avalanche science and avalanche courses is, is to talk about how the human brain works in these scenarios. It's not just about learning your skills. It's not, that's all really important. You got to know your gear. You got to practice with it. You got to know the snowpack, learn about it. All that stuff's important, but understanding how our brain works is key. Like humans have ego, humans have nerves. We can be self-conscious, self-conscious. We can be overconfident. Like if you're filming, that's a whole different thing too. You can feel like you have something to prove, like the crew you're out with, you can put this thing that we call an expert halo on someone. Like if you're with a crew that is like way more experienced than you, you can put your worries aside because you're just trusting that you're in good hands. Like everyone deserves a voice when you're out there. And um, yeah, understanding the human psyche, I think is like a, a big importance when it comes to avalanche safety and knowing how to talk about all this stuff. I, I want to highlight what you just said there with expert halos yeah, like and, and feeling like when you're with people that are more experienced that you're, you don't need to make the, your own decisions because they're, they know what, what's going on. I want you to just kind of yeah. elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah. It's, I think it's an important one to talk about that. We, I didn't, I didn't coin that phrase. I, um, it was one thing that uh, Buff talked about at the Abbey course. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Buff is, um, he's basically the avalanche wizard in Canada uh, Travis has brought him on on a bunch of shoots as like the safety avalanche guy there. And Buff um, does all the avalanche control for all of the highways in British Columbia. Uh, he's the man. And he's he's like up there helping us with, yeah, air horn for Buff. Um, yeah, so essentially expert halo, which all of us have done in all walks of life and in snowboarding especially, and especially when you get put on a crew that you don't know anyone with. If the production company is throwing you with a group of people that you don't know, the way our brains work, we have a tendency to trust the person who seems like they have more experience. And even if we might have an idea or might have a worry, 
our natural inclination is to put that aside because of the expert in the group. So we're putting an expert halo on them and not voicing our opinions, not voicing our concerns. Um, a big, a big part of like avalanche or sorry about, about backcountry success and backcountry safety is everyone in the crew's got to have a voice. Like no one is too much of a rookie to voice a concern because everyone is seeing different things. Everyone's got a different brain. Everyone's got a different pace and uh, acknowledging that and just knowing that nobody knows everything is really important. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Now, a lot of our listeners probably getting into the backcountry first time, whatever, you know, what, what, uh, what advice do you have for people that are, they, they got a split board, they got a snowmobile and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm over these lift lines. I'm just going to go in the backcountry and, but they, they maybe don't have the knowledge. My advice is like, is do it. Cause it's awesome. It'll make you so happy. They're like snowboarding and snowboarding in the backcountry is really special and yeah, get into it, do it. Don't be afraid of it, but learn your avalanche skills. Take the time, get good gear. Don't buy a sketchy transceiver on Craigslist. Like buy good avalanche transceiver probe and shovel airbags really help literally save my life last season. I would have been buried. Um, and your crew, like, I know it can be hard if you're if you're not in the situ- the privileged situation that we're in where we're professional athletes and we can like pick our crew that we go up with. Other people work jobs, they have different days off, but like try and get a crew that you build those skills together with and you get to know each other. You're comfortable with talking with each other about problems, terrain crossings and yeah, just move slow. Like don't don't be all gung-ho. Like when we go out there and you watch these shots of us like flying off mountains, riding big lines like there is a gigantic process that goes into that of years of experience, safety, conversations, patience. Some seasons it's just not like sometimes it's not even the season to ride big lines. Like I've gone whole seasons where it's like we don't get on big terrain. So just move slow. Learn. That's smart. Do you have any like PTSD after? You know, it's crazy. Uh, the PTSD hit. I did. But it hit like like late. Like I was like kind of fine after like just full of adrenaline. And then we even like rode some more stuff that day. We like, we debriefed and had like conversations, but I was with something to note is I was with two athletes that I I don't usually ride with and they are incredible big mountain riders. So I switched from my crew and went with them for that day because they invited me and they took me to this secret spot where there was giant sled access lines. And so they didn't do anything wrong. Those guys are super safe. They had rope, crevasse rescue gear, all the stuff. We talked about the conditions, but I put an expert halo on them. I didn't talk about my plan detailed with them. I uh, I just was like, yeah, they it's fine. They know. They got this. So that was a mistake. Um, what was the start of your question, buds? Did you get any PTSD after getting yeah. back out there and riding big lines? And Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, like, it just hit kind of late. Like, it hit a little while after and, like, like I remember being at home one and just like crying about it, like really? just getting so emotional and just being like, what the fuck is like wrong with me? Like, why did I do this? Why did I make those decisions? I could be gone right now. Um, all for like a clip and a video part that like most people won't see. Most people won't remember. Like, it's just not worth it. Um, and every time I talk about it, I get a little emotional yeah, for I mean, sure. You're inches, inches from death. Totally. If yeah. you think about it, you know, if that bag didn't go or yeah, dude, yeah. for sure. But, um, I think, I think it's like good to not try and push those feelings away. Like I think mm-hmm. it's good to like have a cry about it if you need to. And I think it's okay to get emotional about it. And like a bit of PTSD is okay. Cause I think that's your body's way of like teaching you that like you, you learned a lesson. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, like I probably won't ride terrain that like large for a hot minute. 
Yeah. Like I, I'm super, I've always been into mini golf stuff. Like when I'm riding lines, I'm into like a couple of critical decisions, but then you're out to a relatively safe area quickly where you can even trick after the line. Um, that was kind of my first time getting on something like what was the vertical giant. On that? that was a lot. Yeah, that was a giant. That was yeah, a whole run. It was like basically. an AK run. It was like yeah. two thousand feet or meters. Two thousand. Yeah. yeah. Well, what I what I was also wondering too, talking about you said it's two thousand meters. Sled, yeah, sled meters. access. So you're mm-hmm. talking about the other thing that I was thinking about is when it's sled access. If you didn't pull your bag and you get buried, they can't get to you as quickly as a oh. heli in mm-hmm. a lot of instances. Did you guys ever? Yeah put that into a factor at all yeah that we talked about that and that was again something we did positive and uh so yeah you you need to that's a huge conversation that you needs to be had when you're going out there and riding stuff like before you ride something don't just talk about the snowpack don't just talk about is that snow gonna slide talk about even if it's the safest day with like moderate or low avalanche danger talk about worst case scenario be like if you ride this line you don't have to be like oh what happens if you bounce your head off that rock and you fucking but like Talk about if you're going to ride this line, if it does slide, where's that snow going to push you? How deep do you think you're going to get buried? Is there a terrain trap down there? Like, talk about your rescue plan if something does happen. So if it does, everyone's ready. Everyone's not just sitting around like, oh, like, what do we do? Uh, in that instance, we it is a sled access line, but it's a giant sled lap around the back of this mountain. Then you park your sled by this ridge, and you actually bridge walk for like 40 minutes. So it's a really long lap. And then uh, what we're fanning out onto after that line is actually a big glacier. So we don't get our snowmobiles up there. Our snowmobiles are at the bottom and at the top way up. Um, so our like rescue plan was just make sure that there was either an athlete or media above the next athlete doing his line. So like first athlete dropped and if something happened, we could all get down to him by taking like just one of the mellow shoots and not riding the lines. And the filmer who's shooting the Barbie angle, angle which means angle across the way, could ski to him really quick. So yeah, you just want to make sure there's always somebody above you, always somebody that has you in their sights the whole time so they can see. How like, quick did they get to you? Um, like, had you gone under the snow, would they have gotten to you on time if you didn't have the uh, bag to pull? Because the zone is so big, I think they would have gotten there quick, but I think it would have been about a minute and a half to two minutes before they would have been, like, on me with shovels. Yeah. and that So, so it could have been close. It could have been close. That's yeah. a good chunk of time under snow. I don't know... I. You know, it was, we had talked about the terrain and it fanned out nicely. There was no big terrain trap down there. So I don't think I would have been buried deep, but I probably could have been a couple feet under and that sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah, that's all it can take. And the benefit um, of a heli is they nose in, the whole crew jumps out. You yeah. got exactly. Sick, you got a whole crew shoveling. Yeah, you would have had one guy on you, potentially. Two, two the, yeah. the Barbie yeah. and the person that could ride down. I would have had two and then a third there after. So I would have had the, the two athlete, other athletes rode their lines before me. So I would have had them there on me in about a minute and a half, two minutes. And then after, shortly after that, I would have had the Barbie angle come down to help. Um, but yeah, it's funny. And I they would have had like, to find you first and then yeah, probe and totally digging transceivers out. Yeah. Glad your bag went. Me, me went too, off. man. That, so that technology works. Yeah. <laughs> that was my first, that was my first time having to pull one. Uh, you know, we, th- those airbags, like not to like preach too much here, but like they're don't got buy one being like, I'm, I'm good. I'm safe now. Like, Buy one as like a last resort as like something that if you are in that scenario, like it might save your life. But like other than that, forget about it. Don't don't rely on that handle. Like, um, but they work. It's nice they, that you thought. To yeah, it's a good thing. safety yeah. measure. It's just another thing like wearing a life jacket on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, transition here into the pub beer. Crap shoe. Finally. 
Welcome to the pub beer crap shoot. Now, buds, uh, what are you cracking there? My favorite beverage of the podcast every every week here. This is a uh, pub beer, cheap fun beer right here, brother. Yep. Uh, now, if you're up in Canada and you're wearing a toque and you're thinking about getting absolutely plastered, uh, drinking about 40 beers, uh, don't be afraid to get yourself a pub beer. Uh, you can do that responsibly, get plastered responsibly. Or if you're thinking about having one or two beers. You know? What do they call in Canada when you uh, get plastered? Is there a fun name for it up there? You get tuned, bud. Oh, yeah, you get tuned That's up. Right. Yeah, you get tuned, tuned up. Another one I like is buckled. <laughs> I was yeah, buckled, buckled, bro. <laughs> yep. Also, gooned is really good. Gooned, yeah, gooned is yeah. great. Yeah, it's, it's got like some probably great a hockey hop- term, maybe. Totally. Yeah, my my man Bo Bishop's got some great hockey terms. That movie <laughs> solid. was awesome. Yeah, pub beer's the way to go though. If you're gonna get tuned, buckled, or gooned. <laughs> <laughs> Should be their new slogan, actually, on the can. Right on the can. So, Only in Canada. All right, Rasmus. So just roll that, roll that dice, and we'll tell you what you got to do. Okay. What do we got? We got two snake eyes. Snake eyes. Snake eyes. Tell us about a time you went number two in your pants. Everybody's got a good shit their pants story. Shit their pants story. If they don't, you can't trust them. To be honest, (laughs) this is like not a full-on shit my pants story, but it's like a little bit of a squirter to like run through the woods by a highway. Yes. So it's like, a, you know, it's kind of a shark your pants. Yeah. Um, I just come off a flight. I don't know where from uh, into YVR, Vancouver. Picked up my truck at the park and fly and just started pinning it to Whistler. Stomach was kind of feeling not great from some airport food, but not, not like panic moment. Like I need to find a bathroom. Just kind of more like, oh, I'm going to feel like shit until tomorrow. As I get on the upper levels, it's like, all, all of a sudden down to seconds, like something just hits and I'm like, oh my God, like, you know, we've all been there. Yeah. I could not pull over fast enough. So I just pull over on the side of the highway and just start sprinting up this grassy hill into the woods so I could get to some cover, get in past like five or six trees, just full pants down. Explosive diarrhea? Explosive, oh yeah, explosive diarrhea. Wipe with a sock, <laughs> left the sock there. Like Classic. Sorry. Um <laughs> Yeah, that was probably the worst one upon recent memory. That's respectable. That's like, respectable. Yeah. You can be like, like what a vulnerable way human like yeah. humans are created. Like, mm-hmm. like somebody could have rolled up and killed me. Like I wouldn't have been able to defend myself. Yes. Like I was so vulnerable that it's like it. Yeah, <laughs> nothing. I mean, you, you know, know what's like, actually that might be a good technique if you're at a, in a bar fight and you think you're going to get the shit kicked out of you. Just pull your pants down and like have diarrhea. Yeah, and just start pooping. Just fear <laughs> diarrhea right on the spot. <laughs> Then they're like, whoa, okay, I don't know what to do with this guy. <laughs> My brother was on one of these little mini planes, yeah. and somebody had explosive diarrhea all of a sudden. There's no bathroom. Oh, no. And uh, the guy's, like, freaking out, freaking out, and they had everyone get to the front of the little plane, and this poor dude had the shit in the back. Oh, no. One of the puke bags. And uh, he's just like, look away. <laughs> and just oh, in no. The and it just stunk up the plane. <laughs> oh, no, dude. <laughs> that reminds me, I actually do have, so that one I escaped with, like, pretty much no poop in the pants, but just crazy story i do have another one yeah um let's it keep was it going after, it's surfacing uh, yeah this is the this is the only one that was actually a bit of poop in the pants it was after oshega music festival in montreal thank you mark Sol- a lot of booze, monster eh? energy for hooking those vip tickets up that was incredible um on the plane ride home after a weekend of boozing and eating crappy food and um i got upgraded to respect first class by accident which was amazing by accident they just i don't know how that worked i yeah. just like they just it was your day to me yeah it was yeah. my day which was so great but yeah full-on like 
little little accident in the pants that I wasn't ready right for. Right in first class. Right in first class. <laughs> and had to like, and I, you know, I was waiting for the bathroom, couldn't hold it, little came out, and then I'm just sitting there in first, like, worst first class experience ever because I'm just like. Just bumming everybody out. Just bumming everybody <laughs> out. Probably nobody even smells it. It wasn't that much. I but I just, they, they probably just smelled they smelled it. it. Smelled you know it. it. on planes. Yeah. And yeah. I probably just look like a mess. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, you know, been partying all weekend. I'm sweating, just sweating. Sweating. Just like. <sighs> yeah. That the poop just circles around the air vents. I mean, yeah. it's hitting every passenger. Circulated air. Yeah. Well, basically, Buds actually one time was taking a shit in a tunnel and almost got hit by a train too. That's so true. It's a vulnerable situation. Yeah. Yeah. See that be, tunnel right there. That tunnel. Yeah, that tunnel. <laughs> yeah. The what a wall. shitty way to die. Yeah. Fond memories of that tunnel just splattering the walls in there. Now we running from the train. Now let's. Uh, we got to get into a big topic that we Huge haven't topic. talked about, which is called natural selection. Little uh, little contest that. Uh, oh, that little backyard that jam. little backyard jam you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. yeah and uh the first year let's talk year one because first things first right out of the gate uh you picked travis rice as your opponent yeah how was that how'd you make that decision yeah well the way the way that picking thing works is they basically do like a digital rolodex so all the names kind of go into like a digital hat and then um they pop up and the first name that pops up you essentially get a blank canvas you just get to pick what heat you're going in, don't pick going against anybody. And then they keep on going, and as it flows and the heats fill up, eventually a rider will have to pick a head-to-head match. I got picked second last. So all of the slots are full. Everyone's avoiding Travis. Like, Travis is just right there in, like, heat six, and everyone's like, uh-uh, 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 picking other heats, just avoiding him. And it's just me and Blake Paul left. And my name gets uh, drawn before Blake's. And the two options were head-to-head with Travis Rice or head-to-head with Elias Hellhart. Like, what? Bo- both, insa- like, you don't want to go against either of those guys, especially Travis. But I just kind of looked over at Blake, and he was just sitting there wide-eyed. And I was like, I really like Blake. He's a, he's a homie. I'm going to take Travis because this is also kind of perfect. Been a fan of his for years. He took me under his wing. He's helped me out. Now I'm at his contest. Like, let's go, Trav. So I just picked him. Amazing, <laughs> love and, it. And then uh, no I, strategy. I, I just want to know. I just want to know too. It seems like the most fucking nerve wracking thing in the world. How's the it How's the start gate? Really is, dude. It is because it's like I mean maybe it's a little different for the guys who have contest experience. Maybe they're a little bit more used to those nerves and all the live cameras on you and everything. But uh, yeah, if, it's crazy. Like I'm not used to that type of spotlight. All of the high level snowboarding I do is in the privacy of the backcountry with like four or five good friends. And all of a sudden you're on top of this run and there's like six features in a row that you've never touched before. You've barely even looked at with the exception of some drone footage. And you're having to guess the speed for all of this. How many toques am I going to need to get into this <laughs> first jump? Um, yeah, man, it was nerve wracking. It was crazy. Buds, you got a Patreon? Yeah, Gregory Picard asked, how do you mentally and physically prepare for a competition like the Natural Selection Tour? And how does that differ from your normal park pipe comp or being out shooting film? That's a great question. I mean, for me, I, because I don't do, I never have done any contests. Um, my like physical prep for natural selection was not really much different than how I take care of myself throughout the winter. Um, I just try and eat really good. I stretch every morning when I wake up for about 15 minutes, just a little wake up yoga. And I like foam roll and stretch after day of boarding. And, um, yeah, just try and drink lots of water, watch what I eat. Uh, as you get older, you can really notice things that, like, cause inflammation and, like, ear, 
um, irritate old injuries. Like, so before natural selection last year and this year, I made like a solid effort to, for like the two weeks prior to like really avoid too much alcohol, avoid sugar, avoid a ton of carbs, anything that's going to cause inflammation and just make your joints feel like shittier. Like I just wanted to feel like my best self going into that. So I would say that's the only thing that differed for Natty Select is just watching my diet a little bit more. What about mentally? Not much. You mentally can do. is not much you can do. Um, I mean, mentally, you're just you're kind of in a similar mindset all winter when you're filming a video part, and natural selection is a backcountry contest, so there's not really a ton you can do mentally. I mean, mind you, I didn't make finals this year, so maybe that maybe I could call Sage and probably take some mental points from him because I feel like that guy's got the mental game dialed. Like he's yeah, he just he's, like he's knows when he's to show freak. up. All of a sudden, when the pressure's on, it's yeah, just, let's go. Totally, the he can just turn it on. So maybe I'm doing something wrong, but I, I don't do a ton uh mentally um i keep on telling myself that i want to get into some form of meditation because i'm a pretty like fast paced person sometimes act a little bit impulsively so i think i could benefit from some meditation in the future solid and then fast forward to last year uh you went to the canadian stop at bald face and how'd you do with that yeah so then after the jackson so travis like beat me we had a tiebreaker and it was actually like really close i beat him in the first heat he beat me in the second heat and then our tiebreaker, we both tried to turn it up a notch and we both were getting uh, two runs of us just ragdolling down the whole course, getting judged against each other. And he did like a little bit better. And so he like squeezed by me. Um, but because of uh, COVID last year, they couldn't get other athletes to the Canadian event. So by default, I got a second chance. I got to go to the bald face event. Um, yeah. And it was a little different. Uh, the lodge has, was closed for COVID. So they couldn't like, have anybody in there they couldn't have anybody on scary cherry so what we did is we went to jeff pensiero the founder of bald faces new tenure valhalla and uh we basically just like ran the contest on like untouched terrain like no built features basically just here's a backcountry run that you've never ridden before here are photos of it here's drone footage pick a line and that's your contest run and um yeah my strategy going into that and seeing how the first one was judged was like get a lot of features into one run. Like even if you do something incredible at the top, if you do nothing else, like that's going to hurt your score. So like enter good and keep tricking down the whole run. It's the backcountry freestyle contest. Like get lots of tricks in. Um, yeah. You so, cab five to that step down. Yeah. So on the scout day, um, I saw from across the valley with my binox pro tip binoculars are great for scouting. Um, I just saw like a great step down that just looked like it lined up well into these little like, fluty snow spines um and yeah so i went that when set that up and then i kind of was like looking at the lower portion of my run where i could link it together and yeah it was cab five off the step down miller flip on this pillow then like a long traverse through the trees because remember this isn't a built run it's just a random face go around this other cliff back three under this rock quick like front three off the toes off this bump and then just a laid out backflip at the bottom to finish it off and then you ended up winning yeah everybody yeah. likes a nice backflip yeah. too right dude backflip's <laughs> kind of a crowd pleaser it is it's funny because it is Especially really at like the one end the, like that totally it is one of the easiest tricks but it is like pe people love a good back this guy can so, do them on skis so, so what yeah i know i've yeah. seen that That's so what what happened when you when you won because i didn't i don't remember the, the like awards or anything like that so well that was kind of like the bummer is, low key right yeah because of because of covid like there was no like like here's your there's no trophy there was no like award ceremony like uh, we didn't find out we won until like after until like the judges got to watch all the footage and review it. And uh, basically I just got like a zoom call 
set up and I thought all of us were going to be on it and they were going to announce the winner. And when it popped up, it was just Travis Rice, Liam Griffin, one of the founders of Natural Selection, myself and Robin Van Jen. And so I was like, right away, I'm like, oh shit, like me and Robin won this. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then, yeah, they like announced it and told us on a Zoom call and we're like, uh, yeah, you're going, you want a snowmobile, a Polaris snowmobile and you won the all expenses paid trip to um, the Tordrillos to go compete in the finals with the rest of the field from Jackson. Damn, so, oh, so you Did you get skip, a trophy? Skip the rest. I didn't get a trophy. What the? F- no trophy. No trophy from Baldface. I'm actually. I've got a trophy. Here. Yeah, but yeah, we got, a, we got a trophy the other day. Now I'm actually, I'm actually a little bit bullshit about the fact yeah. that there's no, those trophies look sick. I was a little bummed, especially how sick the other trophies are. I think it's just like, dude, they've been they've been firing at all cylinders to to make that contest happen, and that's they're, a, they're a operating big, at a loss. A big part of a contest. I mean, a big though? part of the a contest or a trophy. Yeah, like I would have. I mean, I'll, I'll take the sled. I'll Maybe take, the sled's the trophy. Not, well, it's a Polaris, though, right? No, I'll take the Polaris trophy. Polaris is top. <laughs> I'll top take the notch. Top notch snowmobile. That's right what there. Uh, Skidoo riders say that haven't tried a Polaris. Yeah, yet. that's what I'm saying. I I'm, used to be a Skidoo rider. Do um, or poo but, is but, really. <laughs> he went poo. The tr- dude, I would have liked the trophy too, especially because like Ski-doo-doo. as a backcountry like video part guy who doesn't do yeah. contests, you don't really get a lot of like physical proof of your accomplishments. You don't get a lot of like physical like. Here, this X is game medals and exactly. stuff like that. You have all this, like, you know, digital archives, and you have, like, a bunch of free Get this guy a damn trophy. Yeah, you're huh? not going to be able to go to the Olympics. A big-line Olympics event's never going to happen. No, exactly. So, like, yeah, it would have been, been sick to have a trophy to, you know, be like, oh, I, I won something. Like, yeah. never, I've never won a contest in my life. But so you advanced to the last round of this year, then? Uh, no. No, okay. That'd be sick. No, uh, winning it last year solidified my spot on tour this year oh got you but i'm off tour now because i didn't make final because okay. jared beat me big air jared took me so down i, I heard like you have a, week i something. heard you have a great uh story about your road to natty select this year oh my gosh yeah dude okay so have you guys had covid yet yes mm-hmm. like everyone's have it i was a bit of a i was a bit of a late late bloomer late with bloomer COVID. with covid <laughs> but um i like just thought i wasn't gonna get it i was like oh man, it's not crazy like two years in still haven't got this shit um start getting close to natty select this year jackson and my girlfriend starts getting sick and i'm thinking nothing of it but she's stressing and she's like i gotta go get some rapid antigen tests like i'm i'm freaking out what if i have covid and i'm just like laughing at her like okay babe anyways i hear her just like oh oh no in the bathroom <laughs> upstairs and she's like i just hear her like like deflate and like fall to the floor and i'm like Hey, babe. And she's like, get out. I'm positive. <laughs> All of a sudden she was extra sick. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And she's like, she got the little two lines on the plastic thing. And she's like, literally like, get out of our room. But at this point I'm like, it's not how viruses work. Like I, you've already, yeah, I already have it. I already have whatever you have. I'm just, it hasn't showed up yet, but she like, she like made me quarantine from her. Cause I had to go to natural selection in like eight days, eight or nine days from there. Anyways, we had another rapid antigen kicking around. I waited till that evening took it obviously negative didn't feel any symptoms but then i wake up the next morning and i started feeling symptoms took another one still negative and i was like oh like maybe i'm gonna be fine sure enough day three get another antigen test there's the two lines i'm positive like okay positive how far out am i am i and it's like six or seven days six days i think away from depart for natty select luckily the cdc had like just changed the rules where it's like five days Mm. after and you're like not contagious anymore so they say um, so I was like, okay, I'm technically still good, but this is probably going to be a bit, bit of a stressful experience. So I was like pretty sick for two days. Like I'd say 48 hours. I definitely like felt like I had an Harley flu and then it cleared up quickly after that. And I was just like congested. Like I was congested for like a full week after that. 
travel day pops up. I show up at the airport for my flight. Um, still, you have to test in Vancouver to, to like even get on a plane. I'm still testing positive. So I'm like, I'm not going to be able to get on this plane. Like I, I can't, they're not even going to let me in this airport. So I call Liam from natural selection. I'm like, dude, I don't know what to do. Like I, I'd already told him him and T-Bird a couple days before the whole situation. Like I let him know when I got COVID, when my first positive test was. And they were like, yeah, well the new rules is like, you're fine. Like you're going to be negative. Don't worry. Like guys, I'm still positive. I can't, I can't come. Like I'm freaking out. And Liam was like, you are like legally free to travel. He's like, that's just YVRs, like Vancouver airport specific rules. He's like, get in a car, cross the border and go get on a plane in Bellingham. (laughs) So I'm like, word let's do this so i get on my phone book a flight out of bellingham just completely like no show my vancouver flight drive my girlfriend was with me in the city so i leave her at the side of the road with like she's like take my car like just go like i'll figure it out so i just leave her in vancouver and just start driving to bellingham she took like a cab to the bus bus stop or something went back to whistler get to the bellingham airport get on my plane there sitting on the tarmac for a while like an hour an hour and a half goes by i'm like what is going on it's pretty foggy and i'm and they're like announced a couple times they're waiting for the fog to clear they finally deplane us and tell us all flights out of bellingham airport are canceled and it's like not going anywhere so at this point i am like defeated i'm exhausted i've like almost given up i'm like i'm not going to natty select like it wasn't meant to happen and uh gotta give a huge shout out to my lady lucy because she i called her and (laughs) she was just like absolutely not like you're gonna be so bombed in a few days if you like make this decision right now she's like we are getting you there and she was like she was like my girl in the chair so she's like start driving to seattle right now like i got you and so she's on the computer at home like calling canceling flights that i just no showed booking different ones and so she just booked me a third flight out of seattle um i rip into a park and fly with her car like a fucking rally car driver like bags out quickly like run into the bus running through seattle airport like pouring sweat like just the most uncomfortable travel situation ever get to the till to like check my bags the lady's just like basically laughing at me she's like these bags aren't making the flight like she's like you're way too late she's like you can get on the plane but your bags are not going to get there like whatever fine anyways show up to jackson uh my bags do show up which is nice that was the one bonus of the day uh danny davis is there too he was on like a late flight out of salt lake and zach nigro from burton drove us straight to the opening ceremony and we literally walked in the building five minutes before like our names got called to go on stage and pick our heat wow um yeah so covid right before natty select crazy let's give your lady the uh, yeah. just a huge air huge horn for, that. Let's give air horn for lucy just leaving her on the side of the road. Yeah. Like, what a trooper. Like, what leaving a her boss. on the side I'll of the road in sweatpants. Yeah. Like, she's yeah. just like, just go, go, drive. I'm like, okay, bye. That's a good lady right there. Yeah, she's a keeper. She's a beauty. <laughs> Solid. So let's get into a little section we like to call hot takes. Hot takes presented by Oakley Goggles. Uh, I've been rocking the Line Miner, Line Miner Pro. Highly recommend these bad Larrys. And uh, if you're looking at getting a helmet, I run the. The Mod 5, it's got a little boa in the back, keep it tight on the noggin. Um, so, yeah, new to the helmet game, but I, I'm certainly happy with my Oakley Mod 5. It looked good on you. Yeah, you're looking Thank good you. out there, and I've just yeah. noticed that uh, your brain thanks you. Oh, it does. Yeah, because you you know, you know used to come in all concussed, confused, oh, yeah. and now you're just, just you're on a good run. Just lost in the grocery yeah, store. just lost. Thank you. <laughs> short, short fuse and all that. Now oh, yeah. Just, your brain is clean now and feeling good. It's a good Thank thing. Thank you, buds. Now, uh, let's start it off by doing what we like to do, the MJ, both male and female, of snowboarding. Who you got? Mm, Travis Rice for male, for me for sure. Like, 
obviously because of the type of snowboarding he does that might be a biased opinion but yeah just for so many reasons he's such a legend um female i'm gonna go with mfr marie france roy she is just such a rad human inside and out and when she was kind of on top of the game like she was doing stuff in the backcountry that no girls had even come close to touching at that time and i think a lot of people kind of forget about how much of a legend she was is well said uh now who's the most underrated snowboarder most underrated i mean there's definitely a lot of underrated snowboarders that deserve credit and aren't getting it right now but this kid bryn alexander from whistler is so goddamn talented and um i don't know if he like wants it that bad but if that guy starts getting hooked up uh remember that name because you're gonna you're gonna see bryn fuck some shit up Okay, I got a new one. Uh, when you're snowboarding, high backs over the pants or pants over the high backs? Um, high backs over the pants just because I wear XL pants and I don't want those pants dragging. But I am old enough now that I used to snowboard with my pants over the high backs because that's what the pros did. thought it was cool. But high backs over is way more practical. Okay, ski do or Polaris? Polaris. I Actually, was just, the wrong answer, but okay. I like, I like giving wrong answers, though. Um, uh, Polaris, because I used to be a ski guy. Canadian company was a diehard ski guy, but when I started kind of getting hooked up with Polaris sleds, uh, dude, their handling is just awesome. And, like, when it comes to, like, breaking trail through tight trees, can't touch Polaris. Might be wrong answer for Chris, but, you know. I think it's a great answer. But well, you, Chris, you know, sleds in Utah, a lot of open spaces, really easy sledding here. Well, the thing Chris, is, you, have you ever put your thing is your high backs, your pants over your high backs? Never have. Yeah, I mean, really? No, but oh, the theory, yeah. I, the, like, I want to just go back to Badu versus Polaris for a second because it's like you're entitled to your opinion, but your opinion's fucking wrong. You yeah. know what I mean? That's that's all it is. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I'd like to go back to pants over the high backs for a minute because I just think that's kind of psycho move to do that. Well, if you watch a lot of a lot of old video parts, a lot of people still they were doing it. it. Yeah, yeah I was totally confused by it. Yeah. It might have just been like the the like little crew of riders that I was with at that time and the pros that they were into. I can't actually remember for the life of me yeah, what like pros did it, it, but it was whoever was doing it. Like I remember my one buddy from high school, Mylon Spiv- Spivak, he needs an air horn. Mylon's the man. Uh, he was one of my few like snowboard friends from high school. And I just remember him being, him being like, Rasmund, a little bit of high back exposed, unacceptable. Because like, <laughs> a little bit of my high back was sticking out and I was like, oh shit. And like pants got to go over that. Pants so there was over like it. a short, you know, two or three years where pants went over the high backs. All right. Okay, step down or wedge? Step down. Okay, who's got the best style on a snowboard? Oh, my goodness. That's a loaded question. This is a tough one because there's so many, but I'm going to go with OG Nicholas Mueller before Nicholas Mueller started trying too hard to look like Nicholas Mueller. If wow, makes sense. I like that. So you're talking like early absent. I guess it was absent the whole time, but like early absent, future proof ish. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, ex- yeah, future. Yeah, totally future proof. Neverland, um, pop that kind of era. And with that said, I'm not saying that Nicholas's style before he disappeared off the face of the earth wasn't incredible. But I feel like the last few years he kind of started like, like almost eating up what everybody was saying about his style, maybe a little bit. That could be totally wrong, but it almost was like he was trying to look too much like himself, like, if that makes sense. OG, OG and, Freddie, yeah. and Nico, when he's rocking like heavy posy posy, and that's just yeah. how he is totally. riding before he's like, oh, I have good style. He's just like, I just, this is how I look. He's just doing it how he looks, and he's yeah. got super baggy kits, and he just looked dope like that. Um, 
that Baba O'Reilly song in Japan. I think it's like Nico and and uh, it might be Kevin Pierce. It might be Nico and Kevin Pierce. Yeah, it's a heavy track. Segment right is so sick. Solid answer. If you could go heliboarding with three people in the world, just fun times, great mm-hmm. conditions, who are you going with? Yeah, I mean, I've been so fortunate. I've I've gone heli riding with like some of my idols, and I've been to Bald Face Lodge with some of my idols and heroes. So I think now my answer has changed. I think I would take my dad, my uncle, my dad, my two uncle, and my godfather. So I'm going to add one more person, heliboarding. And uh, my uncles and my godfather are skiers. But those four people are fully responsible for, like, me loving the mountains and getting me out there a lot when I was a kid. And I would love to, like, share what I get to do today with them. Amazing. Great answer. That's a great answer. What about what about going heliboarding with Mike Tyson? We had it so many. And I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he can really snowboard, man. That, that was, uh, we actually had Young Dolly on yeah, the show. And answer. we asked him who he'd go with. And he said Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson would be kind of sick. <laughs> yeah. like, I would Mike love Tyson to go heli- in the heli. with Mike Tyson. I feel like he'd be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. We'd be laughing all day. Iron Mike Tyson in the heli. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess the last one we're going to hit is worst trend. What do you got? Worst trend in snowboarding is, um, and it's not any specific people or groups or brands. It's kind of just like a mindset that sometimes picks up and carries momentum is, uh, screaming and virtue signaling the inclusive card, but then actually not being inclusive and being really judgy and being clicky. I mm-hmm. think that's like the worst thing in snowboarding. Well said. I like that. I like that too. That is a what solid about popping like Will Ferrell in the heli with you? That, mm. Yeah, that would go. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, that'd be sick. That Him and um, um, John C. Riley, like yes. Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. Oh my god, that and that's in it. Heli together, <laughs> yeah. that's it. And like, you don't even care that your day is so slow <laughs> and not about yeah. not about good. They boarding. don't even have to get out of the heli. Totally, they're just in there when <laughs> you hop in, there, cracking yeah. jokes. <laughs> that'd be sick. New answer. Sorry, <laughs> Uncle and Dad, you guys are out. These two are in. That's sick. They never get out of the heli. Yeah, totally. They're just oh, in there. They're oh just warm. in there getting tuned. They're yeah. just in there cracking beers while you're riding. <laughs> All right, this is a good time to get into another guest question from the one and only Jody Wachniak. Here we go. Oh, amazing! What's good, homies? Jody here from the Airtime Podcast. Big fan of the Bombhole, and I'm very excited to hear this episode. All right, my question for you, Chris, is you grew up surfing in Hawaii, and until recently, that was totally your shit. And then foiling came around, and now that's your shit. But let's be honest here. Why do you love foiling so much? And if you had to pick one, foiling or surfing, which one you picking? All right, peace. That's uh, Great question. Thank you, Jody. Let's give an air horn. Give, yeah, give Jody Wachniak an air horn. Sorry for all the shots fired. You know I love <laughs> you. Uh, you know it's all in good fun, man. Better be careful. He's got a um, podcast, and he can come back at you easy. Yeah, once he a can, week. And he, he will. Actually, no, he's too nice to do that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, I lo- obviously, like I've mentioned a couple times on the podcast, I love the ocean. I grew up going to Hawaii. My even when we were at home, I grew up going to like Washington to surf and Vancouver Island. Like I love, just love surfing. I love being in the water. And, uh, when like this thing called hydrofoiling came into play and I finally like tried it and gave it a chance, I realized that it was a way to experience the ocean in a really positive way, despite all conditions. Now, when you get decent at serving at surfing you kind of get to a point where it can be frustrating a lot of times it's frustrating when you're learning but it can be really frustrating when you're good enough to like want to shred a wave because you're just 
often barely scratching the edge. Like the waves are kind of crap or it's kind of crowded. And especially when you live in the mountains like me and I have to like travel somewhere or drive somewhere far to go surfing, you get there and you're just like, oh, it's just like almost sick, almost sick. And there's people everywhere. Um, foiling, the reason I like it so much is it lets you enjoy any of body, any body of water in any type of conditions. The hydrofoil catches like all this energy below the surface of the water, all this ground swell that you don't see and that is unrideable by a surfboard. And you can just like cruise all over the place. So all of a sudden, like a shin high wave feels like a 10 foot wave. And yeah, it literally feels like a hoverboard. I would encourage anyone to try it. So that's how that works. Explain what it is exactly. Because a lot of people don't know what hydrofoiling is. So basically it's, um, it's like a carbon fiber mast that comes out of the bottom of a surfboard. And then the hydrofoil is literally airplane technology. It looks like a little glider airplane. Uh, the front wing creates lift, the fuselage for like balance and stability, and then the tail wing, more stability. And um, hydrodynamics work the same way as aerodynamics. Water is just denser. So when that thing moves through the water, the front wing creates lift and it pushes the board out of the water. And instead of riding the surfboard, you're riding this little mini water airplane. And that there is so much like energy in an ocean that goes unridden, like all of this groundswell and all of these currents moving all over the place. And so you can like tap into that with the hydrofoil and you're just hoverboarding around on what to other people looks like flat water, but there's actually a lot of energy there and you're just like, feels like flying. It's crazy. So and you're just like pumping like with your front foot and just, it seems the, like the a pump, workout. It totally is. And that's, so the pumping is, um, is kind of just like an added thing that you can do with it that makes it fun because you can like link waves together without getting off your board and paddling. The pumping is a thing that you can or can't do. You don't have to do it. But when you're going against the waves and against the current, you got to pump to keep that thing going. So you can kind of push the board down. The foil kind of pushes against the water and wants to like bounce back up at you. And you keep on doing that. It's like little jump squats and you can just keep that thing going forever in flat water. But then once you turn around and you see like some groundswell coming, now you can pump like way past where the normal surf lineup is. Like you can pump like 200 meters past all the surfers sitting on longboards and you'll see a little bump in the water coming. You turn around and you'll feel that foil lock into the ground swell and then you're just chilling. No pumping and you're just carving turns on this unbroken wave for like a kilometer. How do you get up on one of those? That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. If you're in the waves, you paddle it just like a normal surfboard. And then all of a sudden, yeah, and you paddle it and you like, it wants to lift. It wants to like push you out of the water. So you paddle it like a normal surfboard and you push really hard down on the front of the board to keep the thing from lifting you pop up and once you're on your feet you allow it to lift and uh yeah like another thing with these things is people are like ah they're dangerous and they look kooky and it's like so what if they like look a little kooky to you because yeah surfing 100 yeah that's what i was wondering how do the surfers in the lineup feel about you out there any surfer that tries it is all in any surfer that hasn't tried it or has been like defeated by it is all hate yeah. Um, but the other thing about it is like on a foil, you don't want to be anywhere near the waves that the surfers like, like a foil is like super sketchy on like a, a good surf wave. Yeah, you like don't a want a big pitchy, six foot wave. Yeah. You don't want like a steep, punchy, you pitchy wave. Yeah. You want a little fart ripple. fart ripple. And even if it's like bigger, but it's mushy, that's sick for foiling too. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the beauty of foiling is you can be away from the crowds. Um, foilers that are idiots are ones that go and paddle out in the lineup and yeah. get in surfers ways. 
Inclusivity yeah. goes right out the window with with uh, hydrofoils. Yeah, exactly. Well, with <laughs> surfing as well. There, there's yeah. a lot. Of, there's like a lot of uh, hate on it right now. But yeah, the hate all comes from people who haven't like tried it. Here's I, I want to talk to the, the whoever started foiling. That this the name itself could use a little work. Yeah, hydrofoiling. It's just not no, that. It's, it's not, not that catchy. It's not catchy. Yeah. It doesn't sound very cool. Like surf, I don't, I'm gonna go surfing. Like, oh, that sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. totally. Like you think they could? I agree. You think they could have thought of a name like just a little bit more like. Yeah, it just sounds a little dope. You got any yeah. better names? No, but I'm gonna I'm gonna work, maybe work flex on my that. brain I mean, muscle on you that one. Look for a name change in that. Yeah, yeah get a little get a little uh, international get a little name change. Tune up going on <laughs> that. And thing. To, to answer to answer Jody's second part of the question, um, if I had two options, if there was a wave beside a mushy wave over here that is like a foil playground and little bumps all over the place, or like a shoulder high like barreling wave, 100 percent every day I would choose surfing, mm. but with just normal conditions, the way it goes, if I had to pick one or the other, I'd pick foiling because I get to ride a board more in the water, foiling than I do surfing. You get way more time on your feet. You get way more carves. So that's that the answer. Sense. Maybe there'll be a WST for uh, foiling. That would be tight. And you, could, be crazy. you could join it. And, well, this, uh, yeah, pro-marketed foiler. Dude, <laughs> dude uh, multi-sport athlete. Got into... <laughs> He's a little too old to get on the surf tour, but foiling. Foiling, I'm <laughs> in. Yeah. Let's get a new name, though. Yeah, totally. Let's change that shit. All right, let's get into setups, Rasmin. Uh, let's talk about your board setup, bindings, angles, forward lean, the whole nine. Nice. Yeah, I like it. Uh, so that is my most current pro model with Lib Technologies, um, the LibTech Rasmin. Uh, it is an early release, so it's available in stores now, but it is a 2023 model, so it will be on shelves all next year, too. Um, I ride the 161 in the backcountry and the 159 on resort and in park. I'm about 5'10 and 175 pounds. Um, my angles, so those are flux bindings. I've been riding for flux for almost a decade now. Love them. That's the flux XF, and it's uh, essentially just like a simple, solid binding, pretty stiff base plate but nice and flexy high back so you can still like tweak and not sacrifice style in your grabs uh front foot positive 15 back foot negative three uh 22 and a half inches wide solid setup now uh tuning edges leave them um you know what's really funny about that is just uh from historical habit of seeing like matt beardmore do it seeing travis rice do it before um i would like always detune the four corners a little bit just a bit take them down because in my theory was like oh you won't catch on jumps when you're spinning and then i heard blue montgomery's podcast legend love that podcast and he was like making fun of people who do that to like a brand new board that's tuned properly and now i'm not gonna do that anymore so <laughs> thanks blue you <laughs> fucked me up <laughs> you might zing on a cab nine or though if you zing. totally if yeah. i zing on a cab nine it's blue's fault you waxing that <laughs> bad up. boy often or what are you like a wax every sash guy i'm i'm like uh not every sash, but like as soon as it starts looking dry, I wax it. I wax your board often because you do not want to be fighting for speed. It's way easier to ditch speed than it is to fight for speed. So, Well said. Wise words. And your base will last a lot longer. Like when I store all my snowboards, even though I get snowboards for free, I store all of my snowboards loaded with wax because it keeps that P-Tex healthy. Damn, that's a smart move that's right a there. smart move, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, we got to ask as far as uh, what's next. What do you got next on the docket? Next, um, I mean, I still, I love filming video parts. Like, it's just 
makes me happy. It's like it's an addiction. So, it's an addiction. You get that clip high, man, dude. Nothing's better than that clip high. That twelve hour clip high doesn't last very long. So you got to mm-hmm. keep on going out for more. Feed the beast. Feed the beast. Chasing um, the dragon. Yeah. <laughs> so I really like filming. So you're probably going to keep on seeing video parts from me as long as I'm a professional snowboarder. Um, we are kind of uh, not rebranding man boys, but we're evolving man boys. Like as all of us get a little bit older, um, we're going to keep on filming and be the athletes in the project, but we're going to, you're going to start to see some new young blood in those projects. We really want to like help out the next generation of backcountry snowboarders in our area, uh, really help lift them up. So yeah, more man boys projects, more man boys movies, um, natural selection tour. I don't know if I'm on the tour next year or not, I might have to take a year off cause they're going to try and give other ath- deserving athletes an opportunity at it. But the year after I'd love to be back on that tour. And when I am, it'll be a huge focus of mine as well. Beautiful. And uh, lastly, we always like to see if you want to throw out any thank yous before we wrap this thing up, man, there's too many to thank. Definitely going to forget some, but thank you to my family, mom, dad, brother, sister, uh, friends, all the man boys. Thank you to any sponsors that, have supported me along the way, snowboard magazines. Um, and yeah, my current brands. Thank you, Rip Curl, Lip Tech, Spy Optics, Flux Bindings, Boardroom, Pow Gloves. You guys are the shit, and I really appreciate the support. And yeah, it's awesome that you let me uh, keep doing what I love. Amazing. Where can people find you? You know, social media, all that baloney. Uh, my Instagram handle is just at Chris Rasman. Super easy. Um, and if you want to check out, what uh, the Man Boys is, uh, our production company. If you just uh, search the Man Boys on YouTube, you got uh, most of our movies and video series on there. Amazing, amazing. Well, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. I want to say thank you to all of our listeners or people watching on YouTube. If you're not already, don't be afraid to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes via audio or video. Um, that being said, thanks to anybody that bought some merch. Anybody that has supported us, that listens, you guys fucking rule. So thanks again. We got another episode coming at you next Wednesday. Thanks for having me, you guys. That was fun. Yeah.